0: And just a gigolo. gigolo, and everywhere I go, gigolo. people gigolo. know the part I'm
1: playing, gigolo. Gigolo. paid for every dance, gigolo. selling its romance, gigolo. oh, what they gigolo. 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 There will come a day, and youth will pass away, what will they say about me, when the end comes I know, they'll say just a gigolo, life goes on. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack And Sean Chapman we are here to talk about stuff. This week on the show, we are going to be reviewing The Suicide Squad. Not Suicide Squad, the one without the definite article. The one with the definite article, the, in front of it. Which I realize now is probably completely untranslatable to all sorts of languages across the globe. So uh-huh. I'm excited to see what they did in like Japan with this movie. Uh, but anyway, The Suicide Squad by James Gunn, which came out in theaters and on HBO Max this weekend. Uh, and there's sort of two reasons I wanted to do it on the podcast this week. One, I liked the movie. I don't know if you liked the movie Sean I, I liked it I probably don't think I liked it as much as you But it's a good time Okay So we liked the movie uh, But Moreover I was watching the movie And I was sitting there And I was thinking Oh I would like to talk with Sean On the podcast about this And then I thought What's the last time we talked about A new release movie On the Weekly Stuff podcast That wasn't an anime movie uh-huh. <laughs> Because we did this year We did Demon Slayer And we did the new Gundam movie Hathaway mm-hmm. But we—I don't honestly, Sean. I don't know the last new release movie that you and I did together. It might have been Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker.
0: Yeah, like it's like that, and whichever—I don't remember if that or Spider-Man, the last Spider-Man movie. I think those were like the two last. The last
1: Spider-Man was earlier than that because that was the summer of that year. Yeah, yeah. Because Star Wars: Skywalker, I think, was the last movie you saw in a theater before the pandemic.
0: That seems very probable.
1: Yeah I feel like I remember you saying that so um, I just realized like you know we don't we don't feel the need to chase the fucking clickbait all that much on this podcast I don't know if you can tell Um, (laughs) you know but uh, once in a while I think it's fun to talk about new stuff and I was watching this movie and I thought okay you know what I think this would be a worthwhile new movie to talk about because I think it has interesting things going on allows us a little check in with DC and superhero shit and uh, why the hell not It's got King Shark in it It's got some good stuff it, They did Polka Dot Man It's very silly It's good. Text. And it's on HBO Max So it was very
0: easy for me <laughs> You texted me and said Hey you want to watch this And I was like Well I did just the other day Hook up because my parents have a, an HBO account And I was like Oh I, I finally like hooked that up And, and uh, signed it on, that, on my PlayStation So I can watch HBO Max stuff I was like oh yeah I might as well Like there's no reason not to
1: Yeah absolutely and one thing we will not be talking about is like why is the box office for this movie low? Uh, the box office for this movie is low because there's uh, a bunch of very stupid people in the United States who won't get vaccinated and so we have a variant raging and we have a bunch of really dumb politicians who won't order vaccine mandates and I think that's craven and stupid and I'm targeting everyone on all sides on that. And so it's dangerous to go outside and then also it's on HBO Max so people can just watch it from the comfort of their own home. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking at that box office number and thinking it tells you anything about anything, it doesn't. Um, yeah. It's it's completely fucking irrelevant <laughs> And, yeah, we'll see from there. But I yeah, don't, maybe no one saw this movie, but yeah, who knows? Yeah, it should
0: be stressed if people haven't watched it and they want to. It, it you, you know, you should. Uh, it's good. Like, if you like James Gunn's other stuff, I think you would like this movie. But also, it is just, if you have HBO Max, it is just for free on there. It's not like Black Widow on Disney um, where you right. had to pay 20 bucks or whatever. Like, it is just, if you have that subscription, it is just on there like anything else. So if you haven't watched the movie and are curious, like, and you have HBO, you can just check it out.
1: You do have to have the higher tier. There's now... HBO Max did add an ad-supported tier for $10 a month. The movies are not on that. Um, you have to have the $14.99 a month tier, and then, yeah, all of the WB theatrical movies are on there. So, Well, for 30 days. So it won't be on there in a month, but then it'll be on there in six months, probably. I don't know. I don't get any of it, but there you go.
0: Yeah. Streaming so, service stuff is is weird and, and convoluted, but it does make it that you don't have to... You out of your way to go to movie theater and deal with all that shit if you just want to watch this movie.
1: And no one is suing Warner Brothers over this one because you know they actually worked with the people involved with the movie yeah. before it came out, so they wouldn't do that. Which you know maybe Disney should take a take a note on that. <laughs> anyway so yeah um i mean i guess we'll do a couple a couple other pieces of stuff and whatnot but like quick spoiler free reactions we both said we liked it you can read my tweets on it i liked it quite a bit i I don't think it's a perfect movie there's a couple of quibbles i have with it but i had a grand old time i think it's very good i think it's probably my favorite of james gunn's movies so far um and yeah just thought it was a good movie yeah
0: i definitely don't like it as much as his guardians films like i think i would kind of describe this movie as um kind of like less than the sum of its parts where i think the parts are really fun and entertaining and it's got like lots of really great set pieces in scenes and stuff like that but i kind of felt like the movie didn't really hang together as like a whole um in a way that when it ended i kind of had a like okay yeah that was fine um kind of reaction even though i did enjoy my time with the movie it didn't i think kind of like bring itself together in a way that with the guardians movies which are both i think have problems i did come away from those movies feeling a lot like stronger about like the characters and the main kind of story arc that the movies went on and i was a little bit lukewarm on that stuff for this film but the other stuff like the action and like the tone and the style i think in this movie is more kind of like potent than it is in those so i think it's kind of a trade-off depending on what you're looking for between this and the guardians films
1: yeah that makes sense And I'll say What you just said About this movie Is kind of to a T What I said about The first Guardians And I still feel that way I think that movie's Like missing an act And I don't think it's It's got good stuff But I don't think It adds up to much And then you all know I love Guardians too And I think its ending Is phenomenal But I also think like I, I would not have said James Gunn is someone Who's particularly good At action set pieces before um, And then I think Suicide Squad is It's not the best I've ever seen But it's very good at it There's some mm-hmm. really Really impressive Set pieces here um, which is nice and you know Overall it's a uh, it's a different Kind of beast and I had fun with it so That'll be our spoiler chat for today Because why the hell not um, You know we've kind of been alternating Between our Batman talks and our Gundam talks and I thought it would be fun to do something Else although I guess this is still Batman adjacent um, We have a Batman <laughs> property is in this movie with Harley Quinn Yes, so. yes. Um, Alright so let's go ahead and move on Sean what have you been up to
0: uh, mostly over the past week uh, I mean I've been you know st- I'm still addicted to Genshin Impact so Like, I feel like the 2.0 Just like you know I mean i had been playing the game Regularly the whole time But like all the new stuff they did with 2.0 In, in playing as Ayaka And all that stuff I've still been playing that very heavily um, But I have Taken this opportunity where we're taking A little bit of a break between full Gundam Series right now because we're gonna The next Gundam podcast is actually gonna be on The, the Evangelion movies And so that's not as much time to watch those movies as it is to watch like a 50 episode show so i've been taking that time to to watch some anime stuff that i had been um meaning to get around to for a while but hadn't because all my anime time was on gundam um and so i watched two shows over the past like week and a half since i finished gundam age one of them being um godzilla singular point which is on netflix it is the i think it's a 13 episode pretty standalone anime season there's like a sort of tease for a potential sequel if they make it, but it's very much kind of like its own thing, not directly connected to any other Godzilla movie or anything like that. Um, And if you really like kaiju stuff, I think that this uh, series is fantastic. It's one where I think if you don't, if you specifically do not like watching like Japanese kaiju movies, if you maybe enjoyed the American ones or you like Pacific Rim or you like some of that stuff, but you couldn't really get into... Godzilla 2000 or any of the Heisei-era Godzilla movies or the 90s Gamera movies um, That this is fairly similar to in style and tone. If you don't like that stuff I don't think this is going to do anything for you Like if all you really want is just to watch the monsters fight This isn't really that kind of series, but if you really like The like narrative structure and styling of a kaiju movie if you like the kind of like esoteric kind of batshit crazy sci-fi stuff that these movies all deal with like that's what Godzilla singular point is really about as a series um, it is um, basically about what happens when in modern-day Tokyo this mysterious kind of red dust rises up from the sea and with it comes these monsters that start appearing with it that start very small at the early point in the series all the monsters are like here's an actual you know like a uh, pterodactyl or something that's like the size of a car and obviously then eventually by the end of the series You're building up to a Godzilla that is the size of skyscrapers and stuff like that But it's much more interested in that kind of mystery sci-fi plot and that sort of um, event style narrative structure of looking at What are the impacts of this thing from all these different perspectives and everything like that? so if you enjoy that kind of storytelling um if you like the pacing and style of kaiju movies like it just the series has it down perfect uh you can really tell that the people working on it like studied and really love those movies specifically again i my reference points for these would be the three gamma movies from the 90s um and like godzilla 2000 is also pretty similar in style it's very much pulling from that period of kaiju films um, and then also there's a lot of Sheen Godzilla Influence specifically in how they use Godzilla They kind of visually quote that movie in a couple Of places um, But yeah I think it's a great great time if you like That kind of stuff if you aren't into It I wouldn't check it out like I think it's, it Would probably be kind of a polarizing show um, So it's not a broad recommendation but, but I think you know who you are you, And you know what you like like this Is uh, a pretty pretty great um, Entry in the
1: Godzilla Franchise as a whole yeah, uh, sorry. Sean, I'm going to have to pause for a second. My computer is overheating. Yeah. And I don't know why. I'll just leave my recording going. Yeah, I'll just leave it going. Um, I'm just looking at Task Manager, and I have absolutely no idea why it's doing this. Well, I guess I'm going to try to power through um, and hope it doesn't make too much noise. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. There's, like, literally nothing I can see that would be doing this. So weird. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that sounds cool. I have not uh, watched that show yet, but I did throw it in my Netflix queue because I thought it looked good. I did see, like, a clip of something with Jet Jaguar, and I was like, that looks silly.
0: Yes, there is a lot of really good jet jaguar stuff um there is a scene i think it's probably like around episode eight or episode nine there's a big action scene involving jet jaguar and some spiders that is like just some sick fucking shit um like again it, it is not a very action heavy show overall but the big action scenes that they do have i think partially because they go more for this slightly grounded smaller scale stuff of you're you're dealing with monsters that are like two stories tall for most of the series not like 40 stories tall It allows them to do some action set pieces That are really cool and Jet Jaguar factors Into that stuff um, so if you really like Jet Jaguar which you should um, He also this is the only Other thing other than Godzilla versus Megalon That is like a major entry in the Godzilla Franchise uh, that Jet Jaguar appears in So um, there's some very deep cuts In Godzilla uh, mythos uh, That they, they pull in for this show
1: And has Godzilla
0: ever done Like a TV show kind of thing in Japan Before? Um, not like this. Like there have been like weird, like almost like kids show kind of stuff. Um, you know, somewhat equivalent to like uh we had the uh Hanna Barbera Godzilla cartoon um with Godzuki, uh Godzilla's uh wacky <laughs> nephew. Um there's there's some stuff kinda of like that where it's it's more kind of like toys and stuff for the effects that are like very cheap. But no, nothing like this. The closest closest equivalent to this series in terms of a godzilla thing that is not live action would be the cg movies that netflix has also um which is a trilogy of movies from like five to eight years ago which those are like decent but i would say singular point is much better than those like those don't necessarily give me outside of some like really well done sequences don't give me like the kaiju godzilla vibes the way that singular point just feels like like you could very easily imagine how Singular Point could be with a couple of like changes, just be done as like a six-episode like prestige miniseries version of a kaiju movie. Like that's kind of how it's structured. With like understanding the heart and pace and style of what the franchise and like the genre is about, um, it is very like on point with
1: understanding the appeal of of a kaiju movie. I look forward to HBO's adaptation of it in several years of the the six-hour prestige drama Godzilla. They'll go for all the Emmys it, You know it would fit very nicely Like it would be it's like
0: a shockingly Easy I think transition if, if HBO ever was like you know what Those Godzilla movies that they made that Legendary made like they made pretty good money Like not you know it's not Marvel but it's They're doing a good job let's get in on that <laughs> If they want to like you know call Studio Bones who worked on this series and, and, and You know make that editing. oh this is a
1: Bones Anime oh I mm-hmm. didn't know that that's cool Yeah. Alright nice um, what's the other anime You've been watching
0: Yes And then the other one This is one that I actually I've, I started watching Halfway through Last week After I finished Gundam Age But um, I finished Watching this week Which is Violet Evergarden Which is a show i had been wanting to get to For a very long time This is also one That's on Netflix um, So if you're interested In it And you have Netflix You can check it out um, They have the Full TV show The one OVA They made Which is like A 48 minute episode That takes place Between I think Episodes 5 and 6 um, and then they have one of the two animated films because there are apparently two animated Violet Evergarden movies. So the reason why I finally decided to check this out is because I knew that um, they had made a new movie which came out late last year in Japan. It had a limited release in like March over here and um, that it's like the end of the series. So I was kind of waiting for it all to wrap up before I watched it. And I did not originally know that there were two Violet Evergarden movies because the most recent film is just called Violet Evergarden the movie. So me and my foolishness assuming that anything called the blank the movie is just the only movie in the franchise um, thought that when I saw a movie on Netflix that that must have been that was what it was. Um, But that movie is not quite on Netflix yet, but I went ahead and watched the series and it is absolutely fantastic. So, uh, unlike Godzilla Singular Point, which I think is a great show for fans of the genre, but is not necessarily going to appeal to people outside of that, Violet Evergarden is a show I could basically recommend to anybody. Like, even if you're not someone who's necessarily into anime, generally speaking, if you're someone that's turned off by, um, like, some of maybe the style stuff or uh, shows that have fan service, anything like that, that turns you off. um, This, I think, is just a show that anyone can really love. It's by Kyoto Animation, which is one of the best working animation studios today. Um, and it's probably my favorite thing that they worked on. Kyoto Animation has also done um, stuff like The Melancholy of Suzumiya Haruhi and the movie The Disappearance of Suzumiya Haruhi, which is one of my favorite films. People remember it was one of my top 10 movies of the past decade, which is when we talked about it uh, on the podcast. They've also made stuff like Hyoka, which is great. Uh, Miss Kobayashi's Maid Dragon, which is currently airing its second season. It's also them, like just a lot of Really, really fantastic shows coming out of that studio. And this, I think, is the best thing they've done. Uh, what Violet Evergarden is, is it's about the main character uh, who's named Violet Evergarden, who is this young woman who has served as basically a child soldier in this sort of World War One esque um, conflict. It's not set like exactly in our Earth. It's sort of like this slight, mild fantasy kind of steampunk uh, version of Earth with like a kind of a fake version of Europe. Um, And the backstory is that she was this child soldier who was raised from, you know, basically being a baby just to be a soldier, and so she's this kind of emotionless kind of killing machine. Um, During the war, she kind of comes into service of this character called the Major that... Um, is the one person who kind of treats her like a person. And in one of the last major conflicts of the war, the Major is seemingly killed. He's certainly like d- d- gravely wounded, um, and she is also gravely wounded to the point where she loses both of her arms, which are then replaced with two kind of steampunky, um, like robot kind of prosthetic arms. And so that's all kind of covered in the first like five or so minutes of the series is that sort of general backstory. And the bulk of the show takes place after she wakes up in the hospital after the war is over, Um, they don't tell her that the major is probably dead. He's at the very least missing in action. Uh, they kind of tell her that he's off there, he's somewhere else, but you need to learn how to live your life. And she makes the decision to work this job that exists in this world. Um, that is basically these people called auto memory dolls. Um, they're not dolls, they're humans, but there's like a whole backstory for why the profession is called that. But basically it's these people who write letters for, um, a client Uh, originally it became about because their clients were illiterate but it became this thing where um, they kind of listen to what someone has to tell them and then their skill set allows them to kind of see through the nature of what the person really wants to say and what is like the heart of what they want to communicate to whoever they're sending the letter to and then you write that letter for them of what they really want to say not just what they're telling you and so she decides to um, become one of these otter memory dolls because the last thing that the major told her the last time they saw each other was that he loved her and she doesn't understand really what that means. So she wants to understand what the words "I love you" actually like mean to someone and how she's supposed to feel about it. Um, and so that's why she works this job. And the bulk of the series are these standalone episodes of her going around the country, to these different clients and, they, and hearing what they have to tell her and her kind of trying to figure out how to write this letter, how to kind of solve their problems and her growing as a character, kind of learning emotions and kind of breaking out of her shell and, and learning about herself in the world and all those kinds of things. It is a very beautiful and very kind of melancholy series because it's so much about the traumas of this major conflict that you only have gotten these brief kind of flashes to what that war was like. Um, but you see so much of the impacts on it on the people in the world um, through her travels and it's just gorgeous it's so beautifully written the score is incredible the animation is some of the best you'll see in any tv animation particularly the backgrounds are just drop dead gorgeous and so well um like integrated into the whole aesthetic of the show and then also violet herself is one of the most beautifully animated tv characters i've seen in that her character is so sort of emotionless and placid most of the time. So any minute change in her body language or her um, like kind of facial expression communicates so much about the character. And it's so important to the story that you can feel that this is why Kyoto Animation is the studio that needed to adapt this source material. Um, because it's based on a series of novels. Is that there's no other studio that is as good working in the industry at doing facial expressions and body language and kind of character animation um, than Kyoto animation and they just knock it out of the park and then that's along with I think just an incredible lead performance by Yui Ishikawa who plays Violet um, who people would recognize her probably um, as 2B from Nier Automata is the other kind of really big role she's had um, and it's just like it's the whole package like it's the the complete deal Um, it's, it's a show again, I think anyone would love because it deals with themes and ideas that I think everyone can really connect to and relate to. Um, and it does it in this just perfectly paced, super tight, um, you know, 13 episode TV show where each episode you have a couple of the first three episodes or so are a little bit more serialized the last two episodes or so are a little more serialized but the bulk of the series are these just standalone perfectly paced 22 minute bottle episodes just working through the premise and the world and the characters um so uh yeah it's my highest possible recommendation like i am so eager to watch um the movie which you just there's really no way to watch it um right now there's not even a home release yet so i'm just waiting for netflix to get on that or a blu-ray to come out or something so i can watch the most recent film because the movie and the OVA that is also on there, both of those are as high quality as the TV show itself. So I'm sure that the most recent movie is also um, really fucking amazing because the whole whole series is.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I had heard several people in my Japanese class talking about this show uh, and saying it made them cry and stuff. Um, So I I was interested in it and I hadn't looked it up. I didn't know it was KyoAni. That's awesome. Um, Is this like the first big thing they've done since the the arson incident
0: it happened like so i think the um arson incident happened around the time that the tv anime was wrapping up um so it was kind of like concurrent with that because the show itself yeah i think was 2018 is like 2019 is when it was airing Uh, and so like the movie that just came out i think that was like in pre-production um when that all happened
1: yeah Well, it's good to see they were able to come back and and do the movie and stuff. That's obviously one of the most tragic things I've ever heard about. Yes. um, Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. I'm I'm glad to hear that that show is awesome. Um, I will have to check it out. I didn't have any idea what it was about. Violet Evergarden, that could be about anything. That is such an anime title. Um, Yes. I had (laughs) no idea it was the name of the
0: main character. I assumed... I think it's because like the image that Netflix used for it was like a field of flowers with a like girl standing in it. So I assumed that it was like the garden was an actual garden, not that's like, oh, that's the name <laughs> of the character is Violet Evergarden, which when as soon as you start watching the show and you're like, oh, this is like fake World War One era Europe in an anime. Of course, the girl's going to be named Violet Evergarden because that is such a good Japanese European lady name. Um, yes. It's yeah, it's very good.
1: <laughs> awesome. I have not been watching any anime this past week, but I have been reading the absolute shit out of the Mobile Suit Gundam, the origin manga, which I finished reading the entire thing last night. I don't think I'm going to talk about it a ton here, um, just because I have a million things I could say, and I'll save that for a Weekly Suit Gundam at some point, and, and who knows, I one day maybe you'll read it. and I, I know you've read I, Yeah, game. I'll read it. Yeah I've, yeah,
0: I've read the first three volumes because I have them in Japanese, um, but I do also have... I can get digital versions of them through the Japanese Kindle. So I'll probably start reading that once we're getting a little bit closer to doing the origin anime for the podcast. I have some
1: ideas about how I want to cover the origin anime and the manga and that because that'll be kind of a big coming full circle moment for the podcast. So I have some ideas. I did want to note, Sean, do you have from Japan the, like, Tonko bone that are, like, black and white? Or do you have the actual, like, Perfect editions that we got in America I, that have all the color. I
0: don't think it's the perfect editions. I mean, so they do have the color pages in there, but it's the oh, tankobon okay. size. Okay. Um, it's not like a big, big structure. But like, if you do, if I do them digitally, um, that is going to be the have all the color pages and be like super high resolution and stuff. Okay, good.
1: I was just like the idea of reading this manga where you like grayscale the pages, which is how most tankobon do it. Um, mm-hmm. they just for color pages they grayscale it. Um, no, like the color is too important And like the way Yoshikazu Yasuhiko does it Is like too yeah, singular Because um, uh, like unlike most manga He doesn't, it, the color pages are not Black and white pages colored in They're done differently um, yeah. So it's very cool Anyway, I was glad to hear that I just wanted to check on that really quick um, But yeah, it's it's an amazing manga It's one of, if not the best Things that has been produced With the name Gundam on it Um and so I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, that, was, that was something I bought with one of my stimulus checks, was the full run of Gundam up. the Origin. Because the English versions of those, by Vertical, is the label that did those, are the best English manga editions I've ever seen. Like, by far, they're done completely... They are complete, like, one-to-one versions of the perfect editions from Japan. Um, with all the bonuses and everything, they are phenomenal translations. They leave all the sound effects in Katakana, which I feel like... I hate I hate when manga put the sound effects in English. I know why they do it. You got to sell some of these books in Walmart and stuff, and people would be turned off by it. But it, English, you can't. You just can't do yeah. it. It's got to be in well, katakana. I
0: think it's also that if you don't, if you can't read katakana, those will be meaningless to you. Um, like sure. I, I like the aesthetic of it, um, but it is. I mean, it's totally understandable why you try to translate it, even if obviously we don't need that
1: it is but like it's it's there's also like i noticed this when i was reading through demon slayer uh kimetsu no yaiba because viz on the shonen jump app the like first half of the series they had pages from their published what they call graphic novels where they've replaced all of the text with Japanese with uh with english and then the other half of the series was from just when it was coming out weekly on the app and those they those come out day and date they don't have time to replace the katakana so um and that's one where honestly the art of that series gets pretty butchered by putting in the um the like big because it's also the way viz does it is like the letters they use are way bigger than the katakana and so it just takes up more of the art and like covers stuff up and messes it up and i don't i'm not super fond of that i wish they would find a better way to do it but there you go um i i do understand that not everyone reads katakana i want to say um That's not my point. But anyway, Gun of the Origin, that's good. Um, I was very excited this week. I got in Transformers, the movie, 1986 on 4K. There's a new Steelbook uh, edition that just came out. The the Steelbook is like the standard edition for this. It's a very nice Steelbook, but Shout Factory put this out for the 35th anniversary. They had previously done this movie on Blu-ray, but this is a brand new remaster. It's not like the Blu-ray version upgraded to 4K. They completely redid it um, and it is one of the coolest 4k editions I now own Um, it is one of two like cell animated movies I have on 4k this and Ghost in the Shell and if you've seen Ghost in the Shell on 4k it's very comparable to that which is that it's like very faithful to the original like filmic elements so it's it's grainy and like looks like cell animation but just at a much higher resolution than you've ever seen and then the HDR really helps bring the colors To life in a really beautiful way Um, And so It's really cool because Transformers the movie is Essentially an anime it's animated by Toei In Japan Um, it was designed By the guy who did Macross it looks like an anime So like mostly I was watching This movie and going a I love Transformers The movie 1986 it's a phenomenal And it's I mean in a certain Way like it's 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 so it's much fun It's goofy
0: and cheesy as fuck But like But it I mean it's so much better Than that actual cartoon was That cartoon was janky and bad Yeah That movie fucking rules
1: That movie rules The animation is great The voice acting is awesome I love the characters It moves like a bullet I I unironically adore that soundtrack Like it knows what it is And it's very good It's not just that it's like Cheesy and fun it's good at Being cheesy and fun yes. like it is very Good at what it does um, it's a great movie And so but I was watching it and half Of it I'm like man I'm so glad this movie has This like definitive version it looks I never Imagined we would see this movie looking this nice But then also I was like Please god I want to see stuff Like the Macross movie from The 80s mm-hmm. in like this quality or Some of like Char's counter attack in 4k or something like this which there Is a 4k blu-ray of that in Japan I don't Know if it's any good uh, a lot of Japanese anime in 4K they've just been doing DNR butcher jobs on them and it's very depressing but this is perfect so if you like that like 80s anime style and you want to see it in 4K HDR transformers ironically is one of the best ways to do it it's very good so yeah. i enjoy if
0: that. you really like weird owls dare to be stupid which you should it's a great song, it's a great song. Um, and you also really like eric Idle making a very like why is he in this kind of appearance alongside also, also obviously like orson welles that's like a pretty like famous thing about that movie um but yes it's just like such a weird mix of all these different elements that come together so perfectly Um, Yeah yeah. People have not checked it out You should watch it Like you don't need to know Or give a shit about anything With Transformers um, To really enjoy that film
1: Yeah there's characters From the show and stuff But it's completely standalone in its own plot Because it's set 30 years after like The first season of the show Yeah So it was setting up A new season So it works really well Like people joke about Like the great toy massacre Of it all Because like most of the cast Gets killed in the first 30 minutes But like part of the Advantage of that as a movie Is that it means You're seeing it all Through the eyes of The new characters and so it's very easy to just jump in with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, I've had fun with that. Uh, but the main thing I wanted to talk about, Sean, is, and I don't know if you've played this, but I want to take a trip to your beta corner but because I want to talk about a beta. Bump, dump,
0: bump, bump, Jonathan's beta corner.
1: No, I think it's Jonathan's beanbag in Sean's beta corner. Jonathan-
0: just- da- doot, Jonathan's beanbag in Sean's beta corner.
1: Hello, I'm Jonathan. I'm on a beanbag in Sean's beta corner, and I've been playing a beta of my own um, because this weekend was the first early access beta for Back 4 Blood, the game from Turtle Rock Studios who made the original Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2 under Valve. Went away. There was no Left 4 Dead for many years. And now there's a new Left 4 Dead. It's just called Back 4 Blood. It is just a Left 4 Dead game. Like, be very clear. (laughs) It's Left 4 Dead 3. But it's called Back 4 Blood. And uh, I got sent a code for the beta. Like, if you pre-order it, you were in the early access. But I didn't pre-order it. I just... WB Games just sent me a code. So... I've been playing that along with my brother. We played through the the beta is the entire first act. It's structured pretty much identically to the Left 4 Dead games, although the levels within the acts are shorter, like the space between the, um, to get to safe the houses. safe houses. Um, there's more of them and they're shorter. So it's about the same amount of content for one act. It's just there's more levels. There are eight levels in that one, um, in act one. So, yeah, and otherwise, um, so, so we played through the entire uh, act one in co-op and then there were other people like online dropping in and dropping out it's again the setup is identical to left 4 dead or left 4 dead 2 if you've played those which is it is four player co-op you go in with a buddy if you don't have four people bots play the other characters but then people can just drop in and drop out sort of at will and it also keeps the matchmaking populating so people can just come into your game so it is very co-op focused and uh, I had a really good time it is so this beta is, this is two months out from release. It doesn't come out until October 12th. So we're a full two months away from this game coming out. And I would say the beta is a little rough, but it is in better shape than I would expect for like a two months out from release kind of thing. It's generally in good shape. Like it looks very nice. It's a very nice looking game. I think the environments are cool and varied and all of that. So it's graphically very nice. It performed pretty well on my computer. On my, I was playing on my laptop via Steam um it was it's a little like the performance is a little all over the place in terms of frame rate like it goes up and down pretty wildly and that seemed tied as much to sort of online matchmaking stuff as it is to actual like performance of the game on your computer um and then some of the the matchmaking is actually was very quick and easy and fluid as you want it to be for something like this some of the stuff on this like friends party making system of the game was difficult and weird like Thomas and I would both be sitting in the game Looking at our friends list and we wouldn't Be showing up Um, so there was stuff Like that because it doesn't just use like Your steam friends list because it's a cross Play game on everything so it's got Its own like friends list that side of It's a little weird I hope they figure some of that out I'm sure that's exactly the kind of stuff You do a beta to try and figure out So I hope Mm -hmm. that will be better and then there Was some jankiness where We both experienced one crash with the game um and thomas got kicked out of the game once for seemingly no reason so a little bit of jank a little bit of stuff to improve but that's exactly what a beta is for so that kind of stuff does not worry me at all if this were like the kind of beta that most games do where it's like the week before release and they call Mm -hmm. it a beta but it's just a demo that would worry me this seems like it's an actual beta like when you quit the game it kicks you into a survey screen and has an actually pretty detailed survey to fill out about like what you experienced with the game so i was happy to see that um, but I had fun with it it very much scratched the same place in my brain as the Left 4 Dead games did when I was done playing this beta I went and installed Left 4 Dead 2 so Thomas and I can play that again and I'm like oh man we should just until this game comes out we should go play Left 4 Dead 2 because that game's great um, it's got the same thing where it's got a cast of characters you pick from they all play a little differently the sort of big innovation that Back for Blood is trying and it's something I would have to play the beta more to really get into is it has this card system that sort of adds a roguelike element to the game where every Mm. run the cards sort of randomize and add different effects so there's cards you like build a little deck that you have and pick you get different cards randomly that have different powers like a combat knife for melee or extra health or sort of those basic level things i assume the more you play in on harder difficulties you unlock more exciting like complicated versions of that and between rounds like each time you hit a safe house and i think this is probably why they have more safe houses is to like keep that randomization going um you get new cards and like they add in new what they call corruption cards which are random conditions that can come in so that is something that like from the beta i think it's a little hard to gauge how good that will be but i find that to be something that could have a lot of potential in terms of updating this structure and feeling like an actual left 4 dead three and not just like left for dead one and two again 10 years later you know um mm-hmm. but it's good it, it plays really well i liked all the guns that i used i liked with a I, you know get the machete and you go cut up uh, uh zombies and like you can cut off all their limbs individually and stuff like that it's, it's totally satisfying um you know they banter and they say funny things like in left for dead again i don't think i've played enough to say whether or not i think it's as good as the stuff in left for dead but i mostly found that sort of background noise in that game anyway um, so, but it's very similar in tone. There's some cool objectives in the levels. There's one part where like you have to blow up a ship, so you have, you're on the. Sh- this was the best moment of the whole thing for me was there's this there's this part where you go through this big like cruise ship that has like docked. and you go through that and then you get to like where the not the rebels, but like the survivals survivors are staying. And then they say, okay, there's a bunch of zombies coming, so let's blow up that ship so they can't get over here. So you and your four buddies go. Onto the ship with a bunch of like C4 and you have to plant it in different places and then you have to get off the ship and once you've planted it all it gives you 30 seconds to get off the ship so it's an actual scramble and what was so funny was while trying to get like the the bombs put away I died so I'm dead I was watching Thomas's screen he's helping to get the final pieces in place and then our fourth person is off Um, he was on the other side away from the ship on a turret like giving cover and so Thomas and this other guy were laying the bombs Thomas got his last last bomb down and then ran away and so he gets off and he had about 10 seconds to go and then he looks back and the other guy is like a little bit lost and he finally finds his way to the top of the ship and is running off but it was like an action movie fucking Bruce Willis climax where he jumped away from the explosion as it happened and then the level ended and it's stuff like that where I'm like okay I could definitely get into this this is fun this is this is left for dead style stuff um so i enjoyed it i think it's it's if you like co-op games like this it seems very good um it's you know you don't have to have a party like i did like playing with someone specifically the matchmaking seemed very good to me so i am definitely going to keep this one on my radar for october when that comes out this could be something to look forward to and i forgot about this completely until i went to look it up like i was looking up like the pre-order price and stuff and then i realized oh right this is just an xbox game pass game so if you have Game Pass for PC or console, it's gonna be on that too. So um, low barrier to entry. So that's that's I, I will since it's on Game Pass, I will definitely give that a try when it comes out in full in October.
0: Nice. So I assume it has like all the special infected type stuff as mm-hmm. well from Left 4 Dead.
1: Yep, and the they again, I don't know how much I saw this through just the one main run we did, but because I only played about two hours of the game in total but they say with all the special infected and stuff, the game is more dynamic about like giving them to you. So it's gauging like how well you're doing while you're playing and then trying to throw more at you. So the difficulty is a little dynamic, but we definitely got different special infected and had to kill them. And you know, all of the terrifying moments where like, I would be shooting a zombie over here and then Thomas would go "Eh," and I'd turn around and he would be like up in the air by like a zombie with big tentacles and I would have to go like cut the tentacles off and then Thomas would fall to the ground right so very left for dead in that way cool yeah sounds good yeah it's it's reassuring to hear that you felt like the shooting and all that
0: felt good because that was the one thing that when they showed in trailers and it's a thing that's hard to show in trailers but I don't think like they ever kind of communicated that aspect of the game particularly well partially because i don't feel like this game ever has gotten like a very like in-depth kind of showing at anything like it's always been hey here's a trailer it's less for dead thing anyways moving on here's another like i mean we're in for like two to three years of a bunch of left for dead likes because that is there's like five or six of them um that we have been seeing like people putting trailers out for and this is kind of the beginning of that wave um so it's good to hear that that it's kind of living up Seemingly to some of that promise.
1: Yeah, and you know this is the one that is not a Left for Dead like it is just another Left for Dead. <laughs> yeah. So like very clearly, it's shameless about it. I'm totally fine with that. You know, some someone else make a Portal Three called something else. Fuck it, I don't care. Valve not going to make any games anymore. Other people make Valve's games. This is a little yeah. different because this is the team that did it. But yeah, so it's good stuff. I'm I'm glad to see it uh, and that it was it was fun. And then there's going to be another open beta for everyone. That I think is the weekend of like the 12th So if you're interested you could, you could play it then Maybe Sean if you want to give it a try Cool Yeah. All right. So that's pretty much all the stuff I've got Do you have any other stuff Sean?
0: Nope it's just been Genshin and anime is, is been yep. my life So Which is really just anime So it's just been
1: anime all the way down <laughs> Me too, I've also been playing a shit ton of Genshin Not much to say there I'm sort of preparing for the Yoimiya banner next week yep. I think I have 60 wishes saved up So I am ready to go for that
0: Yes, yeah, no. It is, we are like two days away from Yoimiya, and I have like a stupid amount of currency because of how much you get just by playing all the 2.0 content mm-hmm. um, that I'm like finally. It's it. I've been like nervous sitting on that much currency for that game because I usually just sort of you know I just kind of roll for whatever the character banner is until I get the five star character and we got we both got very lucky in getting Ayaka very early. So it's just like, okay, I've just got like eight thousand or some bullshit number of primo gems. This is scary
1: yeah yeah i just i put all my prima gems into the wishes so that i don't accidentally spend them (laughs) it's -hmm. just like a stupid thing i do um so i have like all these wishes saved up and then i'll just do my fucking batches of 10 as soon as yoimiya goes live so i am excited um i also i have to say that that fucking pyro the new pyro boss that you're gonna have to do for yoimiya is annoying as shit and i don't like it
0: yeah i i have i think i have mona and so i've been kind of uh specking her out a little bit because she's very you need like a good hydra character for that pyro hypostasis but yeah. yes that that like i encountered that for the first time doing the abyss because i hadn't since yoimi is not out i hadn't fought it in the open world um and so it's in like the the 11th floor or whatever of the abyss you have to fight that with one of your party members in the cryo hypostasis with another other party team and I was like Wait what the fuck is this thing like what Do I have to do I don't even have a water character On my team right now what is this? and I was like Well I'm going to call a mulligan on this And go back and reassess my strategy Because I had, it hadn't even occurred to me That I hadn't actually fought that thing yet
1: Yeah it was it was kind of funny I've done it A couple of times gotten a little bit of, of Stuff for Yoimiya when she comes out But anyway we could we could talk about Genshin all the time but We yeah. won't because that would annoy people Sean you want to talk about yes. the Suicide Squad Let's talk about specifically, Jonathan, the Suicide Squad. We have
0: to make sure we emphasize it every time. We're not talking about Suicide Squad, we're talking about the Suicide
1: Squad. What do you think of this trend of differentiating movie sequels by just adding the definite article to the beginning? Batman's doing it next year with the Batman. I just we're gonna I assume the third Wonder Woman will be The Wonder Woman. I think it can probably
0: work fine if you are if your franchise is Batman and you and people will go see a new Batman thing. I think if your franchise is Suicide Squad, I think there are a lot of people who maybe don't know what the fuck this movie is, because nobody knows what the shit a Suicide Squad is before they had made the last Suicide Squad movie and not calling this Suicide Squad 2 or Suicide Squad, Here We Go Again, Suicide Squad, The sequel. whatever, like adding some element to identify that this is a brand new movie. This isn't like Suicide Squad, The Air Cut or something like that. This, I think maybe, you know, I think this is probably a bad idea not to title this
1: movie something more distinct than The Suicide Squad. Almost certainly because, I mean, they didn't want to call it Suicide Squad 2 because this movie is basically an apology for the last one. And they don't want to say, like, it's Suicide Squad 2 because Suicide Squad 1 was terrible. No one wants a Suicide Squad 2. I think, I think the best compromise would have been one of your suggestions. Suicide Squad, here we go again. I think that would have fit the tone of this movie. Uh-huh. That feels like it would have been very James Gunn. I think they should have done that. You could have done Mamma Mia, like, parody trailers. It would have been great.
0: Yes, but I do think they needed to do something uh, to, like you know again like just nobody knows what Suicide Squad is so it doesn't have the brand power to to just bull through like kind of awkward awkward like marketing titles um the way that the Batman you could title that movie whatever
1: as long as people know it's a Batman movie they'll go see it right I mean like the original like Michael Keaton movie was just marketed with a poster with the Batman logo and nothing else and it made like half a billion dollars exactly um Suicide Squad you can't really do that with but so I want to start I want to start here Sean Okay. I think you and I have both been on the record before saying we're not, like, that invested in the whole Suicide Squad idea. It's kind of a dumb idea for a property. Yeah. I have not... I know there are some people who, like, there's a certain comic run that people really love on Suicide Squad. I've not read it. Um, and I'm not that knowledgeable. But, like, I am not... I was not excited by the prospect of the last one, movie, even before we saw it and knew it was the worst movie ever made. Um... I think the new game that they're making, that Rocksteady is making, is like, looks terrible, and I don't care for a Suicide Squad game. And coming out of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, I didn't come out of this going, oh, now I get it. This is why Suicide Squad is awesome. I want 500 more of these. I don't really need any more of these, Uh but I am glad this one movie exists because I think it had the right kind of fun with this idea. And it's kind of what I was expecting when James Gunn was announced, and like, he announced it with like a tweet thread of like, 500 actors he'd cast for it and i'm like right that's the way to do the suicide squad is cast a million people and kill most of them by the end and be very silly with it and then i think the thing that makes this movie more than just a novelty is that james gunn is good at also having like sincerity and things in his movie so it's not just utter irreverence for two and a half hours which would be exhausting and bad
0: Yeah I do think that overall I think this I I feel like this movie has a bit of a problem balancing like the degree to which it has the like much more so than Guardians the trauma esque right because this is like hard R it is very violent and having that like um that violence and there's some sequences that like have a little bit of like the nihilistic tinge to that violence that you would expect from the kind of trauma lineage which is where James Gunn comes from is that kind of super violent B movie from the
1: 80s um Literally he worked at Troma. Yes. He worked with Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in this movie. That's where he got his start. The whole reason why like that the big Twitter controversy happened is because he used to be very down that rabbit hole of doing a lot of the like off more than off color jokes. Um, Which you know to a degree he's grown out of this is not completely in the trauma sphere of having no taste whatsoever But like it's definitely in that lineage
0: Yeah, it's playing with that stuff way more than Guardians like Guardians has a little bit of like the irreverent humor aspect of it But it's not like like it's not trying to be Absurdist in the way that there are a couple of sequences in this movie that are like Nihilistic black humor absurdist comedy um with like 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 deep violence right like like intense violence that is not like i don't think it really is meant to make you super uncomfortable outside of maybe some of the stuff that the thinker's lab at the end is like particularly like oh this is gross um but most of it is like this is schlock 80s horror action movie kind of uh levels of gore um but i do think that the movie has a little bit of a hard time balancing that with some of the like kind of a little bit more pat superhero movie stuff that you get in particularly in the third act, um, with like Ratcatcher 2 and Bloodsport. Like I don't think it I don't think like those things build on themselves as well as I was hoping for. Then the way that I think that like the irreverent humor and the thematic and character based storytelling, particularly in Guardians 2, those two things like for me reinforce each other really well. I felt a little bit of like conflict within this movie of it not no like being quite know how to balance those sides or which camp to fall more into but that being said like I do think that this is like about as good a Suicide Squad movie as you could really get someone to make because I think the premise is like not great and is like hard to make a good movie out of and you need someone like James Gunn that can just say fuck it and do stuff with this that you wouldn't be able to do basically with any other superhero franchise outside of like Deadpool is the only thing that's even like similar to this um so it's like I I yeah that that I don't come out of this thinking like I want to see a bunch of other Suicide Squad stuff because it's inherently kind of not like my like personal preference for like genre stuff in a lot of different ways but like a lot of what they do here is really well done and like the craft of it um in a lot of those sequences in particular it's executed at such a high level That you just can't really imagine a different Filmmaker being able to tackle this premise And being able to do it Specifically like within the Hollywood system And stuff like that um, It's kind of like a miracle in some ways That the movie is even able to be what it is
1: Yeah I mean to me it's like The idea, the whole idea With the, the David Ayer movie Of like doing Suicide Squad As a PG-13 Four quadrant thing is uh-huh. the stupidest Idea like yeah. it, Like You have to, you know, and I understand some people are not into the like very trauma esque, um, you know, exploitation level stuff in this movie, and I get it. I I think that's part of what works about the movie. It's definitely part of what works about. I think it. I
0: like. I want to be specific. What I was saying earlier is, I think it needed more of that stuff. Like, I think when it moves away from that, it falls flat because I don't think the sincerity of this movie lands particularly effectively. I think when it is the absurdest, gross out. Like violent black
1: comedy stuff That's where the movie I think is like Most comfortable and most effective Okay then I think you are You and I are on a fairly similar page with this I think the sincerity stuff worked more for me But yes because I think some people are turned off by that And if you're turned off by that that's fine But like then I think you're just turned off by the property And that's okay like this is what this property should be There's no fucking reason to do the Villain team up with bombs in the back of their heads which is such a, like, B-movie-ass premise, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, there is no reason to do that if you're not going to get fucking dirty with it. And, like, I-, I like that they push it as far as they do. I like that James Gunn just uh, apparently was given, like, a blank check and carte blanche because you cannot, like, you know, I, I think the original Suicide Squad is, as I've said many times, the worst movie I've ever paid to see i do understand that david ayer probably had a very hard time with that and the movie was taken out of his hands and all this other stuff i don't know whose fault it is in the end definitely you're not going to make a good suicide squad movie if a studio is breathing down your throat about what you Uh can and can't do with it like you're not this is not a property that you're ever going to be able to do by committee and i think that first movie is like proof positive of it right um I know you haven't seen it but Yes um, I
0: you know I know it through Reputation I at one point I Watched I forget who it was I Watched like a a good YouTube movie Like video SAS do a breakdown Of that movie at some point so I, I Feel like I do understand its Problems quite well at least Through that experience
1: oh yeah It's it's broken as a movie can Possibly be and this is just so Far away from that and it's the Thing that I just find Refreshing about something like This is it's so far from the Superhero movie by committee sort Of thing like Whatever problems or things you like about this movie on either level it's very clearly like attributable to James Gunn and the people who worked on this movie and it's not like what did we focus test and put together and like what and also like with the exception of the the last post credit scene which I did not like. This movie is not, like, doing sequel setups and stuff like that. It's just yeah. doing its own thing and telling its own story. And I know you haven't watched all the, like, Marvel Disney Plus shows yet, Sean. But I will have to say, other than Loki, which Loki is phenomenal, all the Marvel stuff this year has been so exhausting to me. Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision and Black Widow, which are just the the most, like, by committee Marvel stuff, I feel like, at a certain point of, like, existing to just kind of keep the wheels moving and then set up future stories and... I don't know wake me up when you have an actual story To tell is kind of how I look at a lot of that kind of Stuff you know Um, and this is Just its own thing and I think it's very good At being its own thing so you know Maybe we have a different view on the end because I will Say this movie roughly In it's like character arcs is actually Most similar to the original Guardians it is Doing Mm -hmm. the team Ragtag team comes together kind of Not by choice and then in the end Makes this turn into deciding To do sort of the noble thing and my biggest problem with Guardians 1 is I think that turn is just like the movie is missing a second act. It's missing like the things that would motivate them to make that turn. I think when the turn is made there's some good stuff after that although it involves one of Marvel's most boring villains and a fairly dry kind of bad third act action sequence and all of that. Um, but you get the good stuff with Groot and all of that so it works well enough. I honestly it all of that kind of stuff worked better for me here because I think there is a really I found the like Overall character through lines of the ones who survive through to the end like Bloodsport and Ratcatcher and Harley who are the sort of main three. And I guess King Shark. who I don't know if you'd say King Shark as a character arc but because he is a shark. Um, but like those three for me that worked. I'm not saying it's like a thing that like made me cry and feel unbelievable emotions the way frankly guardians of the galaxy 2 does at the end um but like it it worked plenty well enough for me and i found it a fairly impressive turn because also like i do i don't think there's ever really a point where james gunn isn't taking the foot off the gas of the crazy shit either because the thing they're doing at the end to like make the turn is to go fight a giant cartoon starfish and i did i will say when they reveal the giant cartoon star what's the name king starro the conqueror start when they reveal starro the conqueror and they have the big title card that says suicide squad versus starro the conqueror and it's just full on like it looks like they ripped him out of a fucking comic book and just put him on screen and they're just fighting a cartoon starfish that's about as hard as i've ever laughed at a superhero movie was just the reveal of that's what they're actually doing is the giant cartoon starfish um so i don't think the movie is ever like not leaning on both sides of it at least a little bit
0: yeah, I think for me, I, like, I just I don't think the character arcs impacted me really at all. Like I just think there's something, and I, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. I think some of it is that, you know, when you go as extreme as they do in a relatively early sequence where you have Bloodsport and Peacemaker go and they like, you know, in this very, what is, I think... In its own Probably my favorite scene In the movie Where they brutally murder Like this whole camp Full of guys In this utterly absurd fashion Where like They walk up to Every single person Somehow nobody is noticing That everyone's getting murdered Loudly and violently And brutally And eventually like They're fucking shooting Toasters into bathtubs And killing all these people But then the punchline ultimately is that all those people they murdered actually were freedom fighters and that they were all killed for no reason at all. Like that is so dark and fucked up that like I can't then I think it's like it's very hard for me to then at the end to be like and and the purpose of the rats is that and everybody has value while you're also killing the alien creature that was imprisoned for 30 years in like. Like tortured and violated and had all these awful things happen to it Like there's some like level of dissonance there that makes those sequences Like they don't feel like the sincerity doesn't feel like it's meant to be played for humor But the juxtaposition and the contrast of those elements Prevent me from ever being able to take it seriously And it feels like it should be funny But it's not because it's not trying to be played for humor um, And I think that is like my fundamental issue with the movies I think that like those comic elements are very effective But then when you're trying to do your And now Bloodsport like has Become the leader of the team because he gives Them all the orders like That just doesn't uh, resonate With me in really any way or it didn't when I watched The movie yesterday okay
1: It worked for me and and I like I Will give no argument To that the scene you're pointing Out is incredibly dark and I Haven't landed on whether or not I think it was A good idea to give that scene the punchline they give It because it is very Intense and I think and I don't know it's it, part of it too is that it's Amanda Waller is the one who like is the ultimate like kind of big bad of the movie and in some sense I all, I don't know what more you would have done with that there is something I wish there was a little more with her at the end of of something to do of, of giving her the finger which they, they get one over on her and that's nice but um she is the most amoral person in this universe which i do un- i do Except like that the movie for they gets that. don't
0: get one over on her because they they can't release that information that's true. Right? That's so true. she wins that, in the end like the one thing true. she doesn't get is to kill those people but she yeah. they've they're in a like deadlock where ultimately she gets the version of the world that she most prefers not the main yeah. characters And i don't think the movie ever like I think that's like the movie is clumsy in those ways and that I don't think it recognizes that that's what the ending is, but it is what the ending is.
1: No, that's fair. And I think that that is probably, if I had to pick one thing in this movie that was the moment that made me feel most like dissonant with the movie, as you're saying, it, it is that scene at the end where, uh, I keep wanting to say dead shot, uh, blood uh-huh. <laughs> does the, we'll talk about the whole Bloodsport Deadshot dead shot thing in a minute. Um, they, they ultimately differentiate the characters just fine, but it is funny because the starting premise is the exact same. Yes. Um, but anyway, Bloodsport, is is he, he, he has the whole conversation with uh, Amanda Waller. Um, they're not going to be killed. And then he talks to Harley, and Harley, of all people, is the one saying, but Rick Flagg wanted us to release this thing. And I think that's an interesting scene because there's a couple of different ways you could go with it. And what they ultimately pivot to is sort of ignoring the issue and going back to Harley saying he was my friend and Bloodsport saying he was my friend too and having this little moment of sincerity and it becomes very character focused at the end and I feel like in that moment the movie the movie does have some like political provocations throughout it it Mm -hmm. is it's not it is very much part of the fabric of the movie and I feel like it sort of throws those under the bus at that moment to just sort of like kind of keep the status quo going because I feel like James Gunn reached that point in the script and didn't have a clear way out. Um, And I don't know. Even if it were something as simple as Bloodsport saying to Harley, well, I'm lying to her. We're going to go get these bombs out of her neck. And then of course I'm going to release it to the press. Like, that would have been that would have solved that for me yeah
0: or <laughs> lean into the darkness in the nihilism of it right like and that's yeah. where i'm saying that like it's it feels dissonant that it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too like you have to ultimately settle on sort of what is your take here and like th- there's something very disingenuous about the kind of neatness in which the movie likes to feel like it wraps up even though it doesn't and not recognizing that there's this like severe friction with you guys like killing horribly this alien creature that has you know is you know taking over this town and attacking it has also been imprisoned and tortured for 30 years and you know and all that shit that like that alien creature Starro is most equivalent to the protagonist characters like there is like a mirror there that the movie refuses to recognize and it's like there are lots of elements like that i think throughout the film that if it could have Recognize them and either because it doesn't have to resolve them because it would be hard to do But at least like play with it and make it more of an intentional element of the texture of the movie I think then this movie would be like I think like one of the best superhero movies ever made As it stands it feels like it's like a deeply entertaining superhero movie That like has a lot of potential that it kind of leaves on the table
1: Fair enough. I yeah, I didn't have all those problems I did not have that problem with the star of the conqueror thing. I I had I didn't really think about it that way And I guess that just that just feels like a whole other. It would have to be a very different third act. I'm not sure what like yeah, the story would be there. Yeah, I think the third act is now.
0: bad. Like I, I think okay. it's fun I in don't. the giant monster part of it, but I don't think it's a good third act for the movie. I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Okay, I, I like that that stuff works for me, but but yeah, we can agree to disagree on that. Um, so yeah, I mean the the movie we have as you say like these two sides of it, and it goes very extreme. Which starts with the beginning. I guess we'll just start with that opening scene, um, which I found very entertaining. Of the the like first Suicide Squad we meet, which gets on. And part of this is also like that scene is such a thumb in the nose of the opening of the first Suicide Squad movie. Which, if you don't know, one of the reasons why the David Ayer Suicide Squad is one of the worst movies ever made is because it has like an hour long first act that is just Amanda Waller at a table with another person pulling out file after file on members of the team and then going through an entire backstory, all of them scored to the most obvious, terrible pop songs you could possibly pick and like cut to absolute fucking ribbons by a movie trailer company. And like that just goes on and on and on. And then the one person she doesn't introduce is the guy is the only character in the movie who dies. (laughs) So it's stuff like that, where it's just like that movie is interminable to get started. And this movie is extremely direct we're on our way to an island here are like the eight people on the team and then a giant action sequence where all but two of them get brutally murdered and then you have James Gunn's title card where it says like written and directed by James Gunn comes over a bird like eating pieces of Michael Rooker's face Mm -hmm. um so like this movie announces what it is very clearly and I feel like it is a good test case if you want to know if you would like this movie um get HBO Max if you have HBO Max and just get on there and watch those like first 10 minutes. And if you thought that was entertaining, you will enjoy the movie. And if you are turned off by it, you will not like the movie. It's very clear about what it is right from the start. And I do appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no. I, it's, I think it's one of the strongest sequences in the film. Um, because it is... Like, even if I think you can kind of see it coming uh, before yes. it, like, fully plays its hand, like, you know that there's a bait and switch happening, partially because, like, I didn't remember a lot specific about the trailers, but one of the things I did remember is that Idris Elba was in the movie. I'm like, well, he's not on the, he's not on this beach, so there's probably, like, something else going on here, and they're going to kill all these people because it's Suicide Squad, and they should all die, Um, and kind of prove your point. Um, all of them, except for, obviously, the characters, the, the Harley Quinn and, um, Rick White Man. Uh, Rip flag the white boy yeah um yeah but that sequence i think is just fantastic you have i think is it nathan fillion who plays like the detachable guy yes Um, it's he plays
1: tdk which is the the detachable detachable kid. kid yeah and it's it's nathan fillion who is basically there just to for the moment when his arms come off and then he starts getting shot and you see the look on his face it's very good
0: yes that that is such a great joke of where he you know it's this very goofy looking effect where the arms just sort of pop off yes. and you, you can see like the bone socket sticking out and shit and then it just goes over and then he just kind of starts like limply hitting people the way you imagine would happen if someone had the ability to just detach and levitate their arms it's like well you know if you do punch someone or something like most of the power of a punch comes from like your legs and your hips and rotation and stuff like that if you just have a floating fucking arm it can't really do anything good um and so like the limpness of that and then they start by first they shoot his arms and then you see him like wincing in pain at like his arms getting shot and then he just gets shot to shit too um yeah that whole sequence is pretty pretty fantastic
1: it's so much of this movie does feel like james gunn's writing process was going to a comic book store and like you know how comic book stores have the big like bins and like mm-hmm. shelves of like old back issues and i feel like he just went to like the very back of a bunch of those like back issue bins and found like oh my god there's a hero named Polkadot man or a villain in Polkadot man and Okay, there's a detachable kid and just like taking notes and being like what stupid shit can I do with all of this and I very much like that like there's a degree to which there is more comic book in this comic book movie than in most comic book movies um, <laughs> because of how many stupid things it's doing uh, and then combining it with I think the choice to have just a lot of interesting random actors in that first scene which I read. Um An interview with James Gunn Where he said yeah Basically it was constructed From actors who he liked And wanted to work with But were doing other things And were busy So they could do a day So like it worked very Very well So like Nathan Fillion Is on some show on ABC I don't know It's not Castle Because Castle ended But whatever he did Castle 2 Castle 2 More Castle Um whatever show he's on he could like get away for a day so he's able to play like the, the detachable kid and Pete Davidson is on SNL so he could get away for like a weekend well not a weekend because SNL shoots on Saturday but like for a day or two or something and so yes Pete Davidson is kind of annoying so have him get his face blown off first perfect um random cameo by Flew Borg I liked that as someone who's been online for a long time he has a funny voice he had a funny interaction with Harley Quinn I love the entire ongoing thing in the movie with the spear she gets from him mm-hmm. that was very funny um just a good assortment of shit and then also in terms of thumb in the eye of the previous movie having Captain Boomerang here purely to be completely ineffectual and die a grisly death thank you that I am I am ready to maybe forgive Warner Brothers for that first Suicide Squad movie they, they gave me what I really wanted which was that guy dying.
0: Yeah, that was one of the only ones I was kind of surprised at just because, again, I haven't seen uh, the first Suicide Squad movie. But of the comic book characters in this film, because I've never read a Suicide Squad comic. So, like, I don't know most of these, like, random, like, I know some C-list tier Marvel villains, but I don't know a lot of the C-list tier, like, DC villains. And so most of these characters, like Ratcatcher, the Detachable Kid, um, Peacemaker, Bloodsport. I don't think I'd ever heard of Bloodsport, who just seems like he's one of, like, the million Um like you know he's like kind of a dead shot Um he's kind of like Slade. Like he's just sort of like he's just a dude He's kind of taskmaster Like there's a million of those guys It's like he's just like a con- and I love that joke with Peacemaker It's like oh he's the guy who like anything He grabs is like a deadly weapon It's like that's yep that's like Half of all comic book villains but I don't know no, I mean the movie's
1: this. totally aware of that because yeah. it, she ge- Amanda Waller says that about Bloodsport and then she yeah. turns around and says The exact same words to a T about Peacemaker and I found that very funny
0: Yes yeah, so, so it's like that joke is very good but like I don't know those characters specifically But I do know Captain Boomerang Because, it, because he's not like You know, if because most of these characters are like D tier combo characters, he's at least a C tier combo character. People know about Captain Boomerang, if for nothing else, other than that he's dumb, um, and it's stupid and it's a goofy bad villain. But like, he's been in enough DC stuff that like I've seen, I've read comics that Boomerang, Captain Boomerang has appeared in, um, and stuff like that, and him just getting. Like unceremoniously killed That was the one That I was surprised by Because I thought It would be him Harley And, and white White bread man Um, Because I knew That he was in the Previous movie um, That would survive So I was I was actually like Oh my god They really just did it They killed Captain Boomerang It's crazy The fucking Like first ten minutes Captain Boomerang's dead He's one of the most Famous characters Of all these characters They pulled for this movie
1: Well I had an inkling They would do it Just because He wasn't in The trailer material With Idris Elba anywhere Um, mm. But like I was still I was a little surprised because they did get like the cause I think that's Sam Worthington from Avatar. Um is Captain Boomerang. Um and so he's 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 that guy and I was like they got him back. But honestly, Sean, one hundred percent truthfully, he has more to do in the ten minutes he's in, in this movie than he did in the feature length runtime of the uh other Suicide Squad movie. Like he might have more dialogue in this like he's he's in that other Suicide Squad movie he does nothing like there is a scene in this before he dies where he's like doing boomerang power stuff like with his special boomerang he never Mm -hmm. does that he doesn't ever do anything with a boomerang in the other Suicide Squad movie that's how bad that movie is like there's no like contrived scene where the team needs to do something and only a boomerang will do the trick they never do that it's so bad There's so, a
0: switch on the other side of this like thin pillar And the only way to hit it is to throw a boomerang around it Hit it and then come back like it's a Legend of Zelda puzzle
1: Yeah, they never they never did anything like that He made a bigger impression in his five minutes of screen time here Than he did in the other one uh, I was sad to see Weasel drown, although that was funny um, That was just to set up like the good post credit
0: scene of the movie Yes
1: yes i do think i was glad to see weasel just cough up water and then run off into the jungle where weasel probably belongs
0: yeah that is a very funny moment when they all jump out of the fucking helicopter and then weasel starts drowning because it does i think it highlights like the stupidity of the premise yep which is like why would you try to do like these fucking seal team six style like special operations infiltration missions with totally untrained amateur motherfuckers just because he's like this man this guy's a mutant weasel she can control rats he shoots polka dots like i it yes. makes sense for the man who is a living weapon it doesn't make sense for like any of the other characters it certainly doesn't make sense for harley quinn
1: um Th- and i this love is-
0: how stupid the fucking idea is
1: Well this is a dynamic the movie leans into That I'm actually very happy with is I really Like how they do Amanda Waller in this movie Uh Um, One I mean you get Viola Davis As Amanda Waller you're already like 90% There because it's Viola Davis and that's great But in the and she's good in The other Suicide Squad movie too but That movie is I think Very unsure It, it definitely it portrays Her as like a villain she's Bad she she kills like her whole team at One point but they also That first movie is completely unaware That she's also a fucking idiot Because the premise, if you don't remember, of the David Ayer Suicide Squad is that she puts a Suicide Squad together, and then one of the Suicide Squad members is Enchantress and goes crazy, and so she has to have the Suicide Squad rescue her from the Suicide Squad. That's the plot of that movie, and it's completely... I don't think the movie knows that's the plot. It never calls that. It never, like, has... The tongue-in-cheek moment where you realize this only all exists because Amanda Waller is insane and stupid, and I like that this movie—the whole dynamic of her and the people back at her base—is the people at her base realizing, one, this entire idea is fucking lunatic, dumbass, and two, that she's evil, right? <laughs> so that like yeah, you put those like, two things together. It's like deeply amoral because you're, right.
0: you are like forcing these people and extorting them, and you know you have that scene where she threatens Selva's character's daughter. Um, You're forcing them to do these, like, death missions when it's like, Lady, this is the fucking United States of America. We're not, like, lacking in military resources to send some dudes over there that have specific training. You know, we have a lot of dudes in the history of America that have very specific training to go and destabilize, like, a fucking tropical island. And and overthrow and fucking stage a coup We've done that like a million times We can do it We don't need to get fucking polka dot man in the weasel To
1: help us out Destabilize like fake Cuba basically Exactly so I did like that, that. There's that moment early on when Weasel drops in the water and is drowning, and like one of her aides turns to Amanda Waller and goes, "You didn't check if he could swim," and she just like puts her head in her hands. Yeah. And that's one of the moments where I knew like, okay, this movie knows what it's doing because that's the way you want to pitch Amanda Waller here, which is that she is intimidating and scary and evil, but also anyone who would put the Suicide Squad together is a moron. And I kind of like that they f- they thread that needle. It's both of those things.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's particularly funny because like You know again I haven't actually Like read a Suicide Squad comic but I feel like The point of the premise is supposed to be Stuff like they're going in And they're dealing with Superpowered type threats um, Which is why you wouldn't send normal soldiers But I do love that like while there's technically This extraterrestrial component of the mission At the end the design of the Mission it really has nothing to do with that like They're not supposed to kill Starro it's not About that at all um, so it's, It's like, extra stupid the way they set it up, but on purpose. Like, I think it's a very funny element of the movie that, like, it, it is poking fun at the absurdity of the premise um, very effectively.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's the question, obviously, of, like, so they, they do this, like, fake Cuban setting, right? Yeah. So also this movie is... Skewering sort of the American The, the entire mindset that Amanda Waller re- Represents yeah. right which is that America can go in anywhere and do whatever it wants And then through Amanda Waller also making It look both evil and Stupid and inept which America often Is um, uh-huh. in our foreign policy We are we are often Amanda Waller doing stupid Things and drowning weasels um, And I think you and I both agree that maybe it Fumbles that ball down the home stretch with like The, the final thing with the the Drive not really amounting to anything at the Very end but um, I did I think if you're going to do like your folk you've been setting you can't do that without (laughs) making America the bad guy in it right Um, and and it was the
0: necessary and like smart twist at the the beginning of the third act is that this is not like the mission that they were sent on wasn't to kill Starro or shut down Project Starfish really it was to cover up that America was involved in it. And that, like, this whole ludicrous, like, there's, like, three coups that have happened in this country over the period of, like, the 30 years or whatever. um, That, like, basically all of those are because of, like, the U.S.'s involvement
1: in some way, shape, or form. Right. Um, And even before you get to that point, like, that big twist that uh, Mr. Peter Capaldi himself gives us, um, you do get, like, all the stuff. Like the scene you mentioned earlier where they have their little death match. Um, peacemaker and Bloodsport, and then they find out they were literally playing in the background of uh, backyard of freedom fighters, which you know is like the the satirical like point of that scene. Although, as you also say, it then does become a little difficult to move past because it is such a dark point to make and, yeah. and thing to do. But yeah, I um I think I I'm I'd be interested to hear from other people on this too of like the setting and how they found it. I thought it worked for me, but I'm also um. A white guy an American and so I don't know if I am the one to speak to how well the setting works Um, you know because it is this like folk Cuban thing a lot of the people that they're fighting are you know Latino Um, and I I think the movie has seems seemingly has its heart and ideology in the right place and how it wants to approach that and like do the plot with it Um, but you know I I'd be curious to hear from other critics and I haven't seen a lot of writing on that yet
0: yeah, like, it definitely is something that I think the movie's heart is in the right place. But I do think, like... Because part of what it's trying to do is paradise that, like, 80s action movie Rambo yes. type thing. That, like, that's what you do. and then it, And it never, like... You know, the the, the Rambo sequels, at the very least, don't dwell much on like the larger political like ramifications of what is happening. And you know, Commando is like that. You have a lot of movies that are about like white dude who's special forces man. You know, getting pulled out when he just thought, you know, it's like, oh, I was retired. It's like, no, you got one last mission, John. Whether it's John Rambo, John Matrix, whatever the the billions of '80s action movie Johns, they get dropped into this like jungle country that's like a fake Cuba or fake Vietnam. Um, then do their mission I think it is Trying to parody that but I, I Think it does Probably like end up Partially I think some of the way it handles the freedom Fighter stuff gives it, it this feel and stuff Like that That I do think it, it loses a little Bit of the sight of like the parody and ends up kind of Just playing a little bit too much like directly Into it um
1: I really but, I yeah. really do have to say I really do think if the Movie ended with them somehow getting around Amanda Waller and putting like the drive out It would fix a lot of that for me yeah. because I really do like the turn the movie makes where Rick Flagg, once he knows the truth, has absolutely no loyalty to Amanda Waller in that moment and is completely dedicated to doing the right thing because, holy shit, I've done way too much of the wrong thing. And I, I like Rick Flagg in this movie. I think Joel Kinnaman's great. Um, I just think it does, like, kind of lose sight of that by the end because, they, you know, you've also got to fight your big starfish. There's, you know, this is a tricky assignment, I will have to say. <laughs> Yeah. I would yeah. I would not do well writing this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll say with like Rick Flagg that like I think that there's a problem with that character and with Harley for me in this movie where like you kind of because they're not involved in like the actual team building moments of the first act for the real team, right? Not the bait and switch team. That like I think especially since I haven't seen actually like I haven't seen any other movie with Harley Quinn in it. Like this is because she's been in Suicide Squad. She has been in that Birds of Prey movie and then now the Suicide Squad. I haven't seen those other two ones. And I think she is really good as Harley Quinn in this movie, but I don't have any pre existing connection to that character. And no Rick Flagg was in the previous Suicide Squad movie. But like, they don't, I think, get like any clear relationship with the existing team members because they're particularly like Harley comes in way late in terms of when she interacts with like Bloodsport and the rest of them. Rick Flagg doesn't come in super late in the movie, but he does come in later. And he misses some of those early like moments that would have given an opportunity to write that character more naturally to have a relationship there to have an arc that ends with him saying, fuck this shit because I've kind of found that to come a little bit out of nowhere to me of like, why like what have you been doing the rest of the time with this? Like this is what you have always been doing U S military dude. Like why is this one the one that pushes it over the edge? Like there's not, I think a lot of context in this movie for why he has that reaction.
1: That's fair. I will say that context does not exist in the other movie. Like there is a character named Rick Flagg in the other Suicide Squad played by Joel Kinnaman. It is a different character. Like it is just he is doing a different accent. He is pitched at a different level. Like I Joel Kinnaman is one of my sort of favorite like um, character actors working today. He's in a lot of really good stuff. And he is so stranded in that movie between being like the straight man. But then that movie has such a bad sense of tone In this movie like He much more gets to Play a character and Be like a charismatic Actor and I think He's good at that so I think maybe that is What carried me Through is just the Performance I think Reads fairly strongly Mm -hmm. Um but yeah it's It's there is no you Would not like go Watch suicide squad One and go okay That's where this Character dynamic here Comes from there's no I I if James Gunn has seen that Whole movie I would Be surprised frankly (laughs) Like I don't know Why you would sit Through it all there's No reason um so yeah that's that's not harley quinn i think you could say there's maybe some development there although my understanding because i saw an interesting article uh, interview with james gunn about this because um, someone said they thought this one thing in the movie they're like was this a follow-up on birds of prey and he said well the way these movies are made i wrote this movie before birds of prey was done so i hadn't seen birds of prey um he had seen it by the time he like shot the movie and everything i think but like that was not like a planned informed thing so i would i would recommend birds of prey because i think it's a really good movie and one of the better if you liked this you would like birds of prey um and and birds of prey is one of the better dc movies and margot robbie is very good in it um but there's not like a heavy character connection here like i think there's a one-off line about why harley's in prison again and i didn't even fully catch it um because she is not in in you know right you don't need it yeah yeah you don't need an explanation for that but i do think
0: like there's an awkwardness to the structure of the movie by like breaking those characters out that like particularly with Harley she's separated for so long that like they never feel like they're really part of the core team because they are not like they're yeah. they're not a part so, of that original
1: team. I want to come back to these two in just a second because I okay. want to I do want to talk about those two characters more. I did just we we had been on a thing about the opening scene and I just wanted yes. to say one thing was we didn't talk about Michael Rooker. Um <laughs> and I love my Michael Rooker will make anything better. Mm-hmm. um i thought he was going to be in more of this movie so when he becomes the guy who gets his head blown off i was uh a little disappointed but i was also laughing very hard because i think it worked and i think the whole dynamic of the movie starts with him brutally killing a bird with a ball and then it ends with him crying and running away and amanda waller blowing up his head and then a bird eating his face um is a good way to start your movie and again and michael rooker definitely keeps up his trend of he makes things better when he shows up
0: yeah 100 percent. yeah it's like because it is like he, his character, actually, that is a character I do know, Savant from the comics. Like, I've seen some stuff that he's in. Um, like, that character sort of centers that whole opening section, and yeah, he does a great job. Because um, he, he, you know, he looks so fucking badass and hardcore, and then he just sees the most abject, awful shit. Um, because that's some of the most violent stuff in the whole movie is that opening sequence. Like, the way yes. that they die. You know, for a lot of the action sequences later in the movie, it's mostly just people getting shot and getting stabbed. And it's like, it's violent. Like, there's blood. But this is, like, people's faces getting ripped off. People getting set on fire. Um, You know, people getting blown to pieces. So it's, like, it's like really violent and him just losing his shit and running away and getting his head blown off from the, like, brain bomb or whatever. Uh, very good. Very good sequence.
1: Yes. I, and I do think, like... Michael Rooker is so key to the construction of that Because it was a smart choice to have Like a protagonist for that one scene That then you go with and yeah And then I think the, the, the way I'm just honestly like from a writing standpoint There's a lot of stuff I'm very impressed with this movie On And it's particularly, I think, in that first act of you open with that scene, then you have your nice sort of opening credits montage, right? And then you go do, like, your flashback and have Bloodsport and you get us up to speed and then move. But, like, we're through all of that, like, 25 minutes Mm -hmm. into the movie. It moves really fast. And, again, comparing that... Not just to the original Suicide Squad But I think to a lot of superhero movies Especially ones with team dynamics That have a lot of trouble Just kind of getting off the ground yeah. And moving um, I like that this movie Is just kind of off like a bullet And you, you start in the setting of the movie You don't have like 30 minutes leading up to that And even when you do have This little flashback It's pretty light on its feet um, Introducing those characters so yeah. we'll double back on those characters, Bloodsport and some of those, because we want to talk about those are definitely the main characters of the movie. But let's talk about Harley Quinn here. I mean, I mean, I guess your first reaction is, so you had not, I guess, seen, you'd probably seen clips, but you had not seen a movie with Margot yeah. Robbie as Harley Quinn. Yeah,
0: I've seen trailers and, like, clips and stuff, so I'm, like, familiar with it. But I've never actually, like, seen the full movie with her as the character.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, people know I like her as Harley Quinn. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't like her as Harley Quinn, but what did you think? Yeah, I think she's, like, very, very good, um... And like, and I think like,
0: so I have a problem with Harley Quinn in this movie in the sense of that, like, she kind of has nothing to do with the main plot and the main character dynamics. Um, And so it does kind of feel like she's in the movie because people like the character and like Margot Robbie as the character, not necessarily because there's like a like necessary reason for the character to be here in the plot. Like, like if it wasn't Harley Quinn and instead, if this was like Captain Boomerang and Harley Quinn wasn't in the movie, you would never write this role, right? You wouldn't, right. you wouldn't have this feature in the movie at all. And you cut all that stuff out. Um, so it's like, I think there's a problem for me structurally with the story in that sense, but the sequences with her are really entertaining unto herself. Like, I think the whole sequence with uh like sexy, like El Presidente, and that relationship and the fucking, like, birds and then her shooting him in the heart. Like, all that stuff is great. Like, she has, I think, like, hands down the best action sequence in the movie Um, with her starting, like, shooting all the guys and then getting the two fucking M16s and then she gets the fucking spear and starts slitting dudes' throats with the spear. Like, all that stuff is fantastic. The only problem I have with it is that it just feels kind of unmotivated from a broader storytelling sense because she... There's no urgency to, like... Rescue her Um, I mean she rescues Herself which is cool but it then also Means like the the main cast just Went on this like weird plot diversion To go re-encounter to go Meet up with a character that none of those Characters have ever met Rick Flag is the only character who has Met her before and he's not a part of our Core team and so she's like Connected to our main Cast and those character relationships in this weird Like daisy chained way that makes Her feel like a very entertaining But very, like, tagged on part of the movie to me.
1: So none of that is wrong. I just don't care. Like, I just enjoyed it. So it is 100% obvious and true that if James Gunn were working completely on an island and making, like, his own Suicide Squad movie, there hadn't been another Suicide Squad movie, Margot Robbie had not been playing Harley Quinn or anything, he wouldn't have written Harley Quinn in this movie. Like, she is not a part of the story he's telling. Like, that's very obvious. I feel like the one clear studio mandate on this movie was you have to use Margot Robbie, right? Yeah, And like, for good reason, Margot Robbie will get people in the theater and she's also very entertaining. Her Harley Quinn is great. People love it. Um, And so I think the way he kind of decided to square that circle is she'll be off in her own movie for the first one and a half acts, basically. And then she'll join up with the main cast. And I think if it it would... It would bother me, and you know I get bothered about these kind of structural things all the time. It would bother me if, A, the scenes with her on her own weren't so fucking entertaining in and of themselves. And, B, if when she joined up with the cast, I did enjoy her interactions. I get what you're saying about her not feeling like a main part of the cast. But, like, part of it being Margot Robbie, I think, is genuinely one of those actors who has chemistry with anybody she meets on a set. um, That she just bounces off characters well i think they integrate i think like guns writing and then the performances integrate her into the team very quickly i would I totally agree there's not as clear as clear like a thematic connection there she does not have the same sort of like in part because we've gone through birds of prey and she's worked through a lot of her shit like she is not dealing with some of the same like internal conflicts that you have in Bloodsport and Ratcatcher and polka dot man and all of that stuff so she is there mostly for fun but She is fun so like the intended Purpose does get across and I was fine With it yeah Um,
0: but I think part Of my issue is that I think the movie as a whole Starts to drag for me Um, And like and I think that's one of the reasons Why is that this movie is like a What it's like two hours ten minutes long Yeah Um, it is like it, It could be so much tighter And if it was tighter I think it would feel a lot Sharper and like Harley Quinn is a clear example of like Fat on the movie that like you could very easily edit out um, Like you know you'd have to do You couldn't take exactly what they have Because she's is instrumental in the final action scene Like you need that moment with her jumping into Starro's eye and stuff like that It's not like she's like totally removed from the movie And she could just cut her out without doing any additional work But like I wish that either she was better integrated And thus had some level of like synergy With the overall story and the themes In the core character dynamics or she wasn't in the movie, and the movie was a lot like tighter and more efficient about it. Um, but like I think how it is now, it is fun. But it's that's very much like one of the main things I talked about at the beginning of the conversation of like the, that's something that makes it feel like it's less than the sum of its parts. Like those that part is great. That part doesn't do anything with any of the other parts of the movie to me.
1: No, I totally see that. It didn't bother me because I just enjoyed it, and I understand what you're saying. I don't have like a super intellectual take on it. <laughs> Although I do want to I do think the scenes themselves are like incredibly well constructed like I did really like the vignette about her and the dictator the whole idea of there being this like faux Cuban dictator guy who's like super handsome and has somehow heard of Harley Quinn which is not how they've ever played Harley Quinn in the Uh other movies as being famous but I will buy it that's I don't care about that that's fine I will buy it and like you know her like imagining herself like marrying this dude and then realizing that he's a mass murderer she just immediately shoots him in the chest and gives this explanation of like that's a red flag it's a very good vignette like if you were just making a Harley Quinn short film I find that a very enjoyable Harley Quinn short film
0: yeah it has a bit of this like for, like this Quentin Tarantino effect to me Of where I feel like Tarantino has a lot of that stuff in his movies Where it's like this is like a perfect Bottled scene It's like I wish that its connections to the stuff Around it was better um, But like the, unto, a scene unto itself It's like hard to be better Than, than what they do Like it's just such a incredible scene. In particular I think the whole Like the shot of them sliding together With like the birds in the
1: background And all yes. that shit Like it's so funny It's so ridiculous It's so well done and I guess that's part of why the lack of connections doesn't bother me as much because Harley Quinn is, especially in how they play her in these movies, a very weird off-the-wall character who just bounces off everything. And if you're going to have someone flitting around the edges of your movie sort of doing weird, crazy stuff, that's the character to have doing it. So it works for me on that level. And then her escape scene is like the best action scene in the movie. Yes. And I I think in general the action in this movie is very strong. And really, it's, it's honestly, it's very similar to some of the action sequences in Birds of Prey. And I think what it comes down to is Margot Robbie physically is a really impressive actor. Mm-hmm. She can, like, it's, it's not, I'm sure there is a stunt double in there, but for, for like some moments and some things she's doing. But for the most part, it's just very clearly Margot Robbie and James Gunn in this movie and then Kathy Yan in Birds of Prey don't have to worry about putting the camera a certain way so like you can't see the stunt double's face or something they can just have Margot Robbie doing all this physicality and she's very good at it. And I think that opens up a huge level of ingenuity and creativity you can have in your action sequences. So you see this throughout birds of prey. There's a lot of really good scenes like that where she's using the bat. There's this one scene where she accidentally like with her bat hits like a brick of Coke and then like gets all coked up and is doing this whole action sequence. And it's very entertaining and it's very on this kind of level. Um, There's a big scene at the end of Birds of Prey where she is... Which is... Honestly, the third act of Birds of Prey is more impressive than anything in The Suicide Squad. Kathy Ann, very underrated action director from that movie. But the third act of Birds of Prey has this scene where she is rollerblading to catch the villain and margot robbie had never rollerbladed in her life learned how to do it and just it's very obviously not faked she is just doing this rollerblading and it's very impressive and it's a very different kind of like car chase it's low budget for like a superhero movie action sequence but i find it more impressive than like a big cgi thing because of it it's just so built on character physicality and then i think you see that here where they're taking full advantage of it is it's so it's an action sequence that is so in character for Harley Quinn and the way Margot Robbie plays it Um, and that physicality is so embodied it becomes so entertaining and then I like some of the flourishes James Gunn adds I think the the final like push of the sequence being just exploding in CGI flowers everywhere Mm -hmm. is just a very memorable touch and there's stuff like that Um, it's very well done
0: yeah absolutely and I 100% agree that she has this like action star quality to her um in a like like i think the modern like touchstone would be like keanu reeves and the john wick movies of, of having the like the f- physicality and the kind of charisma um to carry that action sequence in performance um and then combined with like james gunn and the action people that he worked with like they just you know choreographed a really great sequence and she she performs the hell out of it and it's a like pretty unique talent that i think is like generally lost in most hollywood movies um and yeah like i would absolutely be interested in in margot robbie being the lead in like some crazy fucking kung fu hong kong style action type movie in a john wick vein. um i'd be i'd be way into that
1: She does have this certain Jackie Chan quality about her. Mm -hmm. Not to like the Jackie Chan level of absurdity because Margot Robbie has not like trained her entire life in like certain forms of like, you know, Beijing ballet and martial arts and that sort of stuff. But like this, this ability to imbue a performance with so much like physical like rubberiness almost that mm-hmm. it there's just so much you can do with it like i i recommended it to you over tech sean and i know you didn't have time to see it but like i really do recommend birds of prey i not enough people have seen it it's a really good movie and the action stuff is very impressive primarily for this exact same reason um and it does make me want to see more with her in this vein and my understanding every time a movie with margot robbie comes out what you hear is that like part of why she is so in demand is that she's a very talented performer but she is also just so gung-ho about the different like demands of a role and like learning it and doing it and like you just have a lot of leeway with what you can do with a star like that Mm -hmm. um so again yeah let's it's like you know if i were james gunn and i were given the same assignment and yeah it's not that like i can't that gracefully integrate harley quinn into this story but fuck it, I do get to work with Marco Robbie and make these individual fun sequences, so why the hell not, um, is kind of how I view it. But it is that is definitely the standout action scene of the movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So then she joins up and we have the other side of the team. So um, let's talk about the other characters. So the two sort of mains in this movie, I would say, are Bloodsport and Ratcatcher, mm-hmm. um, in terms of characters who like have an ongoing arc. Yeah. Um, Although it is, you know, one thing I do just want to say that I think this movie does very well, Guardians of the Galaxy does it very well, James Gunn is good at this, whether you find some of like the final like culmination of character arcs satisfying or not, he's really good at balancing characters. Like a movie with this many like big names and central characters should not fucking work and it's very graceful I think about moving between characters and giving them time to at the very least come into their own as vibrant personalities. That's a hard thing to do and this movie does that very well. Um, And I know that because there's another movie called Suicide Squad that doesn't even let Will Smith have a vibrant personality. And that's really hard. Will Smith is a a vibrant person. It is hard to make him boring. They did it. So, you know, there you go. But speaking of Will Smith, let's talk about Bloodsport. Because one fun behind-the-scenes detail is that Will Smith was never on board to come back to this movie. But when James Gunn started writing the movie, the idea was that they were still going to use Deadshot. Because you have the character, people know Deadshot, there's a lot of history, why not use him? And when they cast Idris Elba, it was a recasting, and it was going to be Deadshot in this movie. At a certain point, they decided, well, it's probably better to just let Idris Elba make his own character. I think at some point, Will Smith expressed some interest in maybe coming back one day and doing more Deadshot stuff. So they made the choice to have him be his own character, Bloodsport. You can still see the DNA of it, though, because in the original Suicide Squad and in a lot of Deadshot media, Deadshot has a daughter, and in that first Suicide Squad movie, the daughter is the exact same age as the daughter would be in this movie, and there is also a whole dynamic of Amanda Waller threatening the daughter. Um, Deadshot is also someone who is obviously... A sharpshooter and all this other stuff And an assassin yes, and, every, and a mercenary
0: Anything he puts in his hand is a deadly weapon yes, exactly. He's one of those very, you know He's a Deathstroke, he's a yeah. Taskmaster He's a one of those guys
1: So you do absolutely see the uh, shared DNA Particularly in the first act Because you can't run that far away from it That is the setup of the character in this movie I do ultimately think making him Bloodsport Was the right call I think like letting him be His own character and letting like just You get to do more visually fun stuff with it I like the mask he wears that like Mm -hmm. has the skull On the bottom Um, you get to Have sort of different sort of weapons and stuff You're not consciously calling back to the Will Smith version you're not having to like Compare Idris Elba and Will Smith Idris Elba gets to be like this is a Much darker character than Deadshot is In in the Suicide Squad movie I think Overall it was 100% the right call To let him be his own thing and so what? If no one's heard of Bloodsport before, then you get to make your joke about how there's a million of these characters and they're all kind of the same, and that's funny. And then you'd get to draw a contrast with him in Peacemaker that I think works very well. So overall, I think they made the right call here. It is still kind of funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's an interesting kind of like path or like ramp to get here. But I think it is like absolutely, I mean it's certainly the right choice not to have like, it would have just been weird to recast the role because it would have been pointless. Um, you know, as, certainly as far as what I understand from that first movie, it doesn't seem like the character made, like, a huge impression on people or such, like, a distinct take or something that we need to make sure we recapture no. that magic. It, like, characters like Deadshot in a comic book franchise are a dime a dozen, so it's like, you might as well just pick someone else. Um, but, yeah, I think it also, like, helps the movie that it is a character that, like, fucking nobody knows. Like, you know, people know Deadshot because he has so many interactions with Batman. He's in... Like Batman cartoons he's in the Batman fucking game Like people have encountered a dead shot Before or they Remember Bullseye from Daredevil stuff And they forget that they're different characters Because <laughs> one is Marvel and one DC is DC Because they are the same fucking character basically Yes. Um. Right so, so Going with a character who is like this D-list Tier just like nobody gives a shit Nobody's heard of him style the comic book villain I think it enhances the like Overall feel of the movie That, that is like what the whole team Is is made up of people that, like, you know, excluding Harley Quinn because she's part of, like, the A team or whatever. This is, like, the B team that is landing on the other beach. Like, the most well-known character in that group is King Shark. He's only well-known because he was in the fucking Harley Quinn cartoon, right? Like, so
1: he's, like, very recently. And he's a shark, so it's, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know.
0: But, like, but like people have, like, he doesn't have, like, a wide-reaching, like, you know, he's in some, like, Flash stuff and stuff like that in Aquaman. But he's not a particularly well-known character, um, so yeah, like like them having this like real like D tier level of cast of characters overall works better than if like one of them was Deadshot and then people know who a Deadshot is and it would have I think drawn too much attention to the character. It's
1: also allows for a change. In the in the other Suicide Squad movie, Deadshot's relationship with his daughter is very positive. He he loves her, he's like trying to like Keep her safe and all this stuff. And in this movie, Bloodshot, Bloodshot, Bloodsport doesn't even care about his daughter, you see. Well, he cares about her on the level of he doesn't want her to die or go to prison, but like yeah. he is a very cold person. That's a much better setup for where they take the character than if it were you were doing the Deadshot thing because it wouldn't, his relationship with Ratcatcher in the movie would not feel redemptive if he had a good relationship with the other daughter. So there's just uh-huh. stuff like that that'll, again, making your own character for your own movie. Is usually better than what they would have done if they had tried to make this dead shot so it's a good yeah. choice yeah
0: yeah and um, then and then you have Idris Elba, Idris Elba so, so fucking like, good. I mean is there anybody working in Hollywood who's more of a fucking movie star than Idris Elba I mean it's like crazy to me that he hasn't headlined like a dozen franchises because it's just he is the most fucking charismatic actor in the world it's crazy
1: well, yeah, because the answer to your question is sadly no, and it's Hollywood's own goddamn fault because, like, it's so weird to me that he hasn't had 10 of these, right? You yes. know? It's so weird to me that we've had all these conversations about, like, should Idris Elba be James Bond, and the James Bond people haven't, like, Moved heaven and earth to make that happen right like it's it's if if he were at all interested in being in your thing you should get Idris Elba in your thing he is as charismatic as a person can be and you know he's done several versions of this and I think to like varying degrees of success I think one of the better roles he's had in a big like popcorn Hollywood movie is probably Pacific Rim yeah um, where he's very good in that but he's not the main character he's very much a side character in that movie this is by far the most successful I think we've had of like Idris Elba movie star ass movie star and it's great I want a million more of not necessarily this exact thing but like him in a movie doing this stuff because he is able to he's so funny he's so charismatic he is and I think he's really good at being able to walk that line that the movie is trying to walk between the mm-hmm. trauma you know ask um, you know almost like insulting absurdity that's offensive to the actual sincere stuff where he can be like afraid of rats but then also like wanting to help rat catch her because she's young and innocent and all of that he's able to walk all of those tonal shifts he's so good and this is how you know James Gunn gets it he spends the middle third of the movie wearing a beret that is like maybe low-key my two favorite things about the Suicide Squad are Sebastian the rat we haven't talked about it yet but I love Sebastian the rat and I love that Idris Elba spends a solid half hour or more of this movie wearing a French beret because of course that man looks good in a French beret it's great
0: yeah no it's it it does it it just feels like you know you've got like Liam Neeson and Denzel Washington both have like like you can't take a step without tripping over a random action movie they've been in that you've like never heard of and and if you watch them they're super entertaining because Liam Neeson and Denzel Washington are two like really charismatic entertaining actors who in their old age just are in like random action movies It's like I feel like Idris Elba should like be that plus two like it's just like it's like we feel like we're being robbed of the movie experience that we deserve um that he could give us but yeah he's he's just so deft in this role being the charismatic leading man like having that sort of like the darkness of the character there um but then balancing that with like the silly humor with the rats and all that like it's just top to bottom a Great performance if there's one thing I wish uh, More in the movie Though is that there's that brief Section in the middle of the movie where you Have him with like a fucking Like wife beater shirt With like the helmet on And eventually in the final act he gets his full costume back on And I wanted more of that like raggedy ass Like looks like the dude rolled out of bed like half drunk And just threw his helmet on look that he has In the middle section of the movie where he doesn't have his full costume I wish that there was more of that because it looks so fucking
1: good It did look good Although I do think the costume Like they do all this stuff at the end when they're fighting Staro, Where he's just pulling off different weapons from the costume yeah. I thought that was a really cool design like I I loved all of that action stuff where he's like he's pulling off different guns he's pulling off parts of guns and combining them he has like a big like stick to hit people with uh there's some good stuff in there it's it's yeah. as like Idris Elba is not as physical as like Margot Robbie in the action stuff but there is some good stuff with him doing you know crazy pyrotechnics which I enjoyed
0: yeah absolutely
1: let's talk about his his counterpart here Peacemaker played by John Cena um which I sort of have, I'm of two minds of it. I really like how Peacemaker is used in this movie and where the character goes. But then there is also, if you haven't heard, James Gunn has written and directed, it's already been It's like been shot, a Peacemaker TV series that's going to be on HBO Max next year. Uh, and that is why there's a post credit scene where Peacemaker is inexplicably alive. And I did find that to undermine a lot of it because it totally feels like this movie was written and shot as Peacemaker is meant to die at the end and then... Yeah. I guess we're going to make a TV show But I do like John Cena in this I thought he was funny I think it's a good counterpoint to some of the other characters in the movie um, And I thought they, they used him well as the heel at the end too
0: Yeah, it's definitely like It's a very dumb post credit scene um, Which I almost didn't see Like I, Because I did assume that there wasn't going to be a post credit scene Just because it seemed like a movie that wouldn't have one Yeah. Um, And but I ended up leaving the credits on while I was like doing something else, and then I heard like, "Oh, that's not music." There's something happening, and came back and it's like, "What the fuck?" Um, uh, And yeah, I think it is a fun performance. You know, John Cena's there's there's an element of the like. You had Batista in Guardians, right? Who like that's you you know we have our three wrestlers turned actors in Hollywood, right? You've got Batista who isn't necessarily the world's biggest star, but is like I mean he's a credible actor. Um, He's
1: he's like the character actor, like the the critics. Wrestlers actor right he's the guy who like shows up In Blade Runner 2049 for one scene And steals the show right exactly He's he's just a great actor yeah and then you Have Dwayne the Rock Johnson who is your
0: Modern day like you throw him in and you Get like you know t- tens Of millions dollars extra on whatever your box Office is gonna be
1: he's Schwarzenegger
0: Yeah he's 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 the movie Star like not necessarily he's not Like the best actor in the world but you Can't not love the rock every Time you see him on screen like it's the yeah. fucking Rock um And then you have John Cena, who seems like a really nice guy, and he's not bad as an actor, but he's not The Rock, and he's definitely not Batista. But for the movie, it works so well, because it's like he's giving the most B-movie performance of any of the um, actors in the movie, because that is the kind of actor he is, you know? Like, um, you know, for people who don't know, like John Cena is one of the most successful, like, modern professional wrestlers, like he has been for, like, 20 fucking years or something. Um, like he very much was like The guy who took over The crown from The Rock At the WWE um, As like their most Bankable star um, and he's never had A particularly successful Run in movies But he always just has like He seems like such a nice guy um, And it seems like he really You know is trying With that movie career And I think this is like The perfect role for him Having this- him play a heel Or like a villainous character Which is not Like he's like a hero Character basically In his wrestling persona Um, I think it works really well for this movie having him be this like kind of like crazy version of Captain America almost is sort of I think the concept they're going for with Peacemaker and it works really well.
1: Yeah I've seen John Cena in several things and you know he generally works more in the comedic vein um, but this is by far the best use of him I've seen in a movie like Mm -hmm. so he was in F9 earlier this year the, the new Fast and Furious and I I don't know how to gauge him in that movie because I think the character is just doesn't work on the page at all. Um, even in the context of Fast and Furious, I don't think that was a a, a great... Like, you're going to do Dom's evil brother. They needed to make it sillier and they try to play it straight and that is a huge mistake in F9. Uh, and maybe if they were playing it sillier, John Cena could have been better. But he does not leave much of an impression in F9. Um, he's great in this, in the like exact way James Gunn wants to use him, which, as you say, he's the he's like... He's the direct-to-video guy, right? Like exactly. Peacemaker is the guy. You would go to Walmart and you would see the $5 movie from Troma or someone else called Peacemaker and you'd go, what the fuck is this, right? And yeah. he has stepped out of that movie into this and it's exactly perfect. There's some very funny lines that we also already got in the trailer that you get here. But then I think it does get more interesting with that sort of second half turn where he has this such absurd commitment to peace that he's willing to like that like he is fully aware that the United States is fucked up and has done something wrong and he just will not let it get out because hey peace which is like one of the actually I think more like potent political points that the movie scores which is that's a very like neoliberal kind of way of looking at the world right yeah which is like like you go as far as acknowledging bad stuff has been done but we can't actually do anything about it because peace (laughs) right Um, (laughs) yeah And so I think I think that works. And, and it is a good heel turn. It's a very satisfying moment when Idris Elba comes down. I fucking love that moment where he just, uh-huh. like, the, the building is collapsing. And Idris Elba keeps, like, bracing himself, falling down one level, falling down another. And then he gets down in time to save Ratcatcher. And they fire the small bullet through the big bullet and shoots him in the neck. Um, it's good. I don't really see a need for a Peacemaker TV series. No. I will say it was... From all accounts, it's not something where like HBO or Warner Brothers said, you have to do this to make the movie. It's an idea James Gunn brought to them after making the movie and enjoying working with John Cena. So who knows? Um, I, James Gunn has has now done several movies where he takes what sounds like a terrible idea and makes a good thing out of it. Mm-hmm. So I would not count it out completely. But I definitely... It felt totally natural to me that he dies. This movie has a body count. There are only three, like, humans of the main team that survive, plus King Shark. Um, his death felt like that was the end of it. And then you have this post credit scene, which I just roll my eyes at, because otherwise this movie just isn't doing any of the we're setting up other DC movie stuff, you know? And, like, yeah. at least that post credit scene isn't setting up, like, a new Justice League or something. It's just setting up that there's going to be a Peacemaker TV series. But, like... Yeah I don't it, it was one thing That just made the movie feel less complete Unto itself and I'm I want more superhero movies that are Complete unto themselves if you can't hear that In my voice it's yeah. something I actually do Like about modern day latter day DC a little bit is that they're doing that more Um but yeah I it annoyed me a little bit
0: Yeah like it didn't really bug me I thought It was dumb um I thought it was dumb In a Gundam Sea Destiny Moola Flaga esque like this character clearly Was dead he was shot yeah. in the heart Um, And then a building fell on top of him That was destroyed by a giant alien starfish Like, the dude's fucking dead It's it's absurd to believe that he could have survived any of that shit Especially when... It's not like he has superpowers like the only thing is that he's a soldier trained from his birth to be a man who could have everything he holds in his hand is a deadly weapon right like he's not Superman so there's no reason he could survive it Um, but it is so like that is so tacked on as this weird extra thing in the credits like likely it doesn't there's not like a shot near the end of the movie that like shows him crawling away or something so right you can ignore it very easily yeah it feels very sectioned off in its own dumb corner in the credits.
1: Yeah, I am. I guess I'm kind of curious to see what that show will be. There's there's some potential there, but I just him working as a side character in this movie, perfect. They did it very yeah. well. Leading a show for eight episodes, I, I don't know about that, but I guess we'll yeah. see. I have um, no
0: idea what you even do. Like what? Yeah, I'm I'm curious about it, but I'm not like waited with bated breath to see what the Peacemaker show is going to
1: be. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, we have three other main characters on the team we have polka dot man King shark and rat catcher who do you want to hit next
0: um let's talk about Ratcatcher too I guess because yeah. she's like the other like main one that has yeah. like big story stuff with her
1: I mean that was the character who impressed me the most in the movie I I do know rat catcher from he, he's in Batman stories right
0: uh, I
1: think Think so. I'm not super
0: familiar with Ratcatcher because like I, I
1: recognize f- the mask. I know him from something, and I guess I don't know what. But I have I definitely mean, it is seen him. a gas him... mask. So you, well, okay, you know. but, <laughs> but no, I'm, yeah. no I yeah specifically like it. when I look him up on Wikipedia, like I know the like costume and the image and all of that stuff. So I've like seen this somewhere, and I would have to look up where. Um, yeah, but this is yeah, not. It's a yeah yeah Ratcatcher has been in Batman comics. Okay, so I know him from something. Um, but in the in the in this we have Ratcatcher two. Uh, Who I guess I don't know if that's a character who's in the comics or anything or if this is just a completely original creation of that but um, the actress is named Daniela uh, Melchior and I definitely was impressed that's probably my favorite character in this movie I thought it was a really good character to have who have we have kind of one character who I still ridiculous because she controls rats and that's silly but is your relatively like emotionally grounded figure in the film Um, and it worked for me and I think the the big like hero moment at the end where she's summoning all the rats to go kill Starro. I found that to be a perfectly stirring climax. I enjoyed that, but I liked this character.
0: Yeah, I like the character. Um, like, I, th- I think I have my issues with the climax, which we've kind of talked about. That I think it sort of it's like a little weird how, like, I think the specific contrast with the Taika Waititi scene, where where you saw his name in the opening credits that Taika Waititi was in the movie, and then it's like he has that like one line where they have the flashback, he's her dad. Um, and he has the, like, he's just like, why rats, dad? Because they're the smallest, like, most disgusting creatures in the world. They're dirtiest creatures, whatever he says. And if even they have a purpose. Um, then he looks at her with a twinkle in his eye. And then they horribly murder this, like, Creature that had been tortured for its entire life by. But what boy. else were they
1: supposed to do? It's destroying the city.
0: I... There's something about the like. Well, then, what is Star Star of the Destroyers or Conqueror's purpose? Like, you know, he's like. But Star of the
1: Conqueror does have agency. Like, he's speaking through the other people, saying, "I'm going to destroy this whole planet." I. He's you know.
0: saying like that's his city, and he fucking well deserves it for all the shit Star of the Conqueror <laughs> has been through. Um, Fair enough, Sean. Yeah. Sean
1: wants the version of this movie from starro's POV. It's very experimental and then it is very violent.
0: Yes. But I do think if there's something about the like underdog wins in the end kind of thing and it's like, you know, it's like, you know, redemption and all of that, that that's the kind of one of feels like is the core theme of the movie, but then it's directed towards an antagonistic force in the final act that is not in any way representative of that. And in fact, is the opposite, uh, like feels really... Weird and clunky to me, um, in a way that made that moment ultimately kind of fall flat for me because I just like felt very bad for starro
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I'm curious. This is not a reaction I've heard to the movie before, but I am glad to this Sean. This is why we do the podcast because we have interesting opinions. So you know,
0: I, it's. I think it might be my kaiju movie thing. I don't know, but like fair, as soon as Staro shows up, I'm like, well, this is a this is a creature of man's making. Like we have like <laughs> brought this upon ourselves. Um, and and we should be, like have sympathy for Starro and try to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Um, Suicide Squad, you shouldn't be killing Starro by stabbing him through the eye and then eating him from the inside out with rats, which is a pretty awful way to die, I would imagine.
1: It is, but yeah, there. Is, I, I see what you're. I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, but I liked Ratcatcher. I liked her relationship with uh, with Bloodsport. It was good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good piece of casting. Like that's definitely feels yeah. like an actor I would like to see more of. That feels like a discovery. Um, and overall, just just the idea of doing Ratcatcher and being that being the character you sort of take seriously. That's, that I feel like is the James Gunn touch. That's what you probably would not get with anyone else's version of Suicide Squad. Of like, of all the characters you would choose, you would do Rat Catcher as like, the fairly empathetic, like serious one. Uh, and then I do like the rat Sebastian, who is just going around waving at Idris Elba and trying to make him like him. I found Sebastian very delightful.
0: Yes. Sebastian is a good rat. Good you know, rat. Rats are fine. I don't get what people's issues with rats are. They're, they're totally fine.
1: I think it's the plague I think it's probably The biggest mass extinction event In human history That's probably what People's issue is
0: Those are fucking fleas man Don't blame the rats They didn't ask for The fucking fleas Okay I know but I'm saying Fleas should be exterminated I don't give a shit What fucking Effect it would have On the rest of the environment (laughs) And the bio Biomes and shit like that Get rid of fleas Rats are fine
1: I'm just saying, people in the Middle Ages probably didn't have the scientific knowledge to understand the flea thing. They understood the rat thing, and that just passes down over time. I'm just saying it is explicable. I'm not saying it's defensible. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's wrong, and we need to grow as a species.
1: Yes, and you know, the movie ends with Idris Elba making peace with Sebastian, and that yeah. definitely moved me. That is, I was talking to a friend the other. I went to see with some uh, friends to see a different movie. And I was talking to them afterwards and I said I saw Suicide Squad And, and one of them said I don't know if, if I'm into that sort of like silly R-rated thing and I said well it, it does have some Unexpected sincerity there is a rat who keeps Waving and trying to make someone their friend And m- one of my friends perked up and said okay now you have My attention I will go see the, the rat's name Is Sebastian okay I'll go see Suicide Squad So I hope it, it uh, lives Up to all their, their dreams yeah, um, Really
0: if they're going to make a spin-off Show it shouldn't be Peacemaker it should be about Sebastian the rat
1: Totally. You could honestly, if you told me you were making a show with like that actor doing Ratcatcher, I could imagine the eight episode Ratcatcher series much more easily than the uh, eight episode Peacemaker series. Especially if you had Taika Waititi for like intermittent flashbacks, that would be entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, okay. We also have Polka dot Man, um, which is is definitely one of the. I found this in the bottom of a bin at a, in a comic book store, and uh-huh. I want to put it in my movie because it is so funny. Uh, and mostly the character is not Taken seriously this is a joke character But it is a joke character who I Think is uh, integrated well Into the team and I did think that actor whose name I forget um, I think
0: David Dest
1: Okay I have seen him in lots Of other small roles And I thought he did really good here because I think If you had an actor who didn't like Wasn't on like the exact right wavelength Of what that role calls for mm-hmm. It would just collapse and i think he was the right call for that
0: yeah yeah it's definitely not a character that has like a lot going on but it's a very it's a enjoyable performance and i think he's a fun part of the team and um, I, love I, the I, like... I love the effects
1: i love the whole the polka dots coming out and like just that they they don't try to make it look realistic it is just cartoon polka dots coming out of his hands or vomited out of his mouth perfect that's what i want if you're going to do polka dot man in a fucking movie this is great
0: Yes yeah I I really like how they realize his effects on screen is very good
1: Uh, And then there's the joke about him hating his mom and only able to kill by seeing other people as his mom Which is a fairly off-color joke I don't know if I laughed every time they did it but there were some funny moments with it Yes
0: um, The only major issue I have with that joke is really not that joke It more just goes to like the way they handle the kaiju stuff because they do the the shot where she where like he sees Starro as his mom, but the mom moves way too fast. Because also Starro moves too fast without they animate him, so it doesn't look big. That's the only time. Otherwise, I thought the joke was good, but the, the, <laughs> it looked like that was one of the few times where I thought the effects looked janky because they're they they were not like calibrated appropriately for the scale of what things were supposed to be moving at. Um, because generally speaking, while the movie doesn't look like you know it's not Avengers Endgame or something. Um, Like the effects work is very Smartly done like it feels like a very Efficiently done like kind of Effects pass on this movie Um, yeah I
1: Know it was lower budget yeah this movie's budget Oh no no it wasn't never mind this cost 185 million never mind okay
0: That's more (laughs) than I thought
1: Um, that's more than I thought Too But it is I still agree with what you were saying
0: Maybe I sort of reset a little bit about the efficiency of it Like I think the effects look good Um, They don't look 185 million dollar movie good to me But like they But they fit well with the movie in general There's only a couple times where it felt like The effects were janky to me and, And some of like the bigger monster stuff Kind of hit that register
1: yeah so anyway um, And he is the only one who dies in the, the final Final confrontation because mm-hmm. he makes it to the end And then he gets squished which inevitable Right like that this it's would This out, is. Man. Yeah you're not going to have a version of this movie Where he lives that'd be weird Yeah. <laughs> anyway and then you have King Shark Who I love um, I think I orig- I've, I've known of King Shark for a long time I remember my first like Formal introduction to him is on the Flash TV Show the CW show he is on Several episodes of that and I thought it was okay, but like it's the Flash; they can't afford to do much shark stuff, so it's uh-huh. not that good. Uh, and then, of course, he broke big on the Harley Quinn animated show. Which have you seen that show yet, Sean? Yes. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's so fucking good. And he is the maybe the best part of that show. There's a lot of good parts of that show, but that version of King Shark is great. I would put this version of King Shark, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, like. Maybe a tear down from the version on the Harley Quinn show But I still really liked him And I do think they made the right call In making it a very different version of King Shark Than what Harley Quinn is doing I don't know if that was intentional or not um, But it doesn't like beg comparisons, you know
0: Yeah, no, yeah it's, I mean, it's it's a very different kind of character Because I think if you were going to do a similar thing You should have just hired Ron Funches, The comedian yes. who does the voice in the cartoon um, To do it, but yeah, so because it was something where I remember seeing Sylvester Stallone's name in the opening credits, but like I didn't catch on that he was the person voicing King Shark. Because I just kept on waiting for Sylvester Stallone to pop up. Because in my head I was like, well, you're not gonna hire Sylvester Stallone if he's not gonna fucking show up in your movie. Um but I think he does a good job. Like I think it's a fun it's a fun, funny version of the character.
1: Yeah, I just like that the movie always keeps like it never goes like rocket raccoon or Groot with him to like go full like we're empathizing deeply with this shark Mm -hmm. it is always he's a walking shark he's kind of dumb and we don't ever really move past that he's also cool and eats people and that's kind of funny but like it's that that's kind of for this kind of movie i thought that was the perfect version of king shark and i did enjoy the the stallone voice it was funny um good version of the character i like king shark i'm glad he's in this more King Shark and more stuff, please.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: Especially if it's Ron Funches, but but yeah, definitely any version of King Shark is good. All right. So that's all the major characters, except for one. Peter Capaldi, Sean, is yep. in this movie. Yep. Here's how I would describe Peter Capaldi's role in this movie. Less than I would have ideally liked, with the asterisk that what I would have ideally liked is him in every single scene, which is unreasonable, uh-huh. But it is more than I was expecting, and he does get to go full Malcolm Tucker for a couple moments. I've enjoyed every moment with Peter Capaldi in this. He's very good,
0: yeah, I it is definitely more than I was expecting because I was based on the trailer, I thought like, ah, oh, he's gonna be in like this one scene on the rooftop, which is like the one shot he's in in the trailer, which is like the only thing I remember specifically yeah. about the trailer is the one shot where Peter Capaldi shows up. um but yeah, in my head, I was like, oh, he's gonna be barely in the movie, but he's like, for a big section of the movie He's kind of like The primary not, antagonist Yeah he's like more or less The primary antagonist And it does feel like um, He was basically cast To just be like An evil version of the Doctor Like he's Especially because <laughs> he has All these like sci-fi-y monologues Like he's got like Two or three of them in the movie Um, And the big one is the big, you know, the one in the lab at the end where he just goes off on like the US's involvement and all that shit, which just feels like, you know, you gave a like it's an R rated version of like his speech at the end of Oxygen or something like that. Um, It's (laughs) fucking great. It's so good. Um, It's yeah, it, it is just like it feels like he's totally on board for the kind of character he's playing. It feels like he probably had a fun time Watching himself get ripped apart And like slammed and blown up By the giant fucking starfish monster Um Yeah it's like it's just a very memorable Really strong villain performance
1: It's great and I I was just very pleased to see that this This was not a case of like James Gunn casting this actor we love But not for the reasons we love him He cast Peter Capaldi for the same reasons you and I love Peter Capaldi like he's he cast Peter Capaldi because he's seen Doctor Who in the thick of it And is like okay we're gonna have him Do that but as the thinker And have him in this ridiculous makeup that like I love that the makeup just looks kind of stupid and bad like Mm -hmm. with all the like with like the the bald piece and then like the just random pieces of metal thrown in his brain with like no seeming rhyme or reason I like that there's a flashback or like video footage of him younger and there's just fewer of the pieces of metal
0: it's not that there's no like weird syringe things in his head is that like there's like five instead of twenty
1: But no he's great Definite highlight of the movie They let him As soon as he opened his mouth And I realized he was He was allowed to be Scottish I'm like They know what they're doing yep. You know Because if you ever cast Peter Capaldi And don't let him be Scottish You might as well have Cast anyone else Just, just come on So yeah. perfect They did just, it yeah. It's great
0: Just getting to hear Peter Capaldi rant about American imperialism Like I could do that <laughs> For hours
1: You know <laughs> See great. Sean This is why I recommended We watch and talk about This movie right Yeah it was my favorite part of the movie. Um, you know, yes.
0: it's just it's a, it's a good time, especially if you really like Peter Capaldi.
1: Absolutely. Um, okay. So I you know, I think that cleans up most of the movie in terms of talking about the characters and stuff. What else would you like to talk about with The Suicide Squad?
0: Um I don't know I feel like we hit
1: most of it because
0: again like I think it, I think it comes across in our conversation like my feelings of like all those individual right. pieces are a great time like I wish it amounted to more in like the in overall narrative sense um, because because if it did like if it was able to I think more fully land some of the ideas it has in its themes and its characters it would be like to me an all time great comic book movie as opposed to what it is where i would put this like in the same bucket as the deadpool movies where it's like it's hugely entertaining very fun very funny some great action great performances from the main characters um but it doesn't like like amount to something as effectively as like some of my favorite comic book movies like certainly like you know your spider-man 2s or something like that but like also i would put it below something like a thor ragnarok or guardians 2 It's probably, like, I think after having this conversation and thinking about Guardians 1 more, I'd probably put it on the same level as Guardians 1 um, for me.
1: Yeah. Um, Other just random things I wanted to point out. I really like um, the score and the use of music in this movie. Something Mm -hmm. James Gunn is good at. The first Suicide Squad infamously tried to do the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, um, where it just uses a bunch of pop songs. But Guardians of the Galaxy one doesn't use like the most obvious pop songs it fre- frequently has some pretty deep cuts and then also there's this thematic tie to all of the pop songs and guardians there was none of that in suicide squad and david ayer has since said that was all later like his version of the movie had none of that <laughs> so um it is interesting to me that the suicide squad does go for using a lot of like pop songs and having a big soundtrack but it's just something james gunn is good at it's yeah. like these are and these are all Tend to be deeper cuts even than what's in the Guardians movie um, I didn't Recognize a lot of the songs I think they're used well He builds what he is good at doing is building Actual sequences about them where it feels yeah. like The sequence was like pre vised With this song in mind not The song dropped in over an edited Movie right
0: yeah and they didn't pick The song based on like the title Of the song being About prison or I mean he does have Fools in prison blues at the start but that's like the Only time that it feels like on
1: The nose and you know that's a good one to be on the nose with yeah yes it's johnny i will never uh bemoan anyone using a johnny cash song it's good it's good for me um i guess there's ways you could do it bad if like the fucking other suicide squad movie had someone like hurt their hand and then hurt started playing i would go that's very bad don't do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, very funny yeah but no that that stuff worked for me i like the cinematography in this movie i think it's a good looking film Mm -hmm. um it's it's not I'm trying to figure out how to say this I think a lot of people and I understand this instinct because a lot of movies and TV shows now are just completely colorless and bland and look terrible in our age of digital photography where like digital images themselves don't really have much color so you have to do a lot of stuff like in post and all this stuff and a lot of images look terrible and so I think a lot of people look at movies that have more muted color palettes and say that's just colorless um, I saw people do this with like Zack Snyder's Justice League earlier this year and I think that's an unfair assessment of what that movie is trying to do with its color palette uh, and I've seen that with this movie too this movie is has a general sort of like darker cooler color cast but I do like the way it uses like color color and like shapes and like depth in the image it's I like that it is a 1.85 to 1 superhero movie you'd never see that it uses height I like that Mm -hmm. it looks good it's well composed Um, and I do think it uses like tones and colors of like the sort of worlds it it is in in an interesting way and and to say it is like a movie that is unaware of the I don't know use or precision of color is I think wrong especially when you have characters like harley quinn and some of the stuff it does with that
0: yeah i was gonna say because i i agree with you that i think it, it is yeah like for a lot of the movie it has a more muted color palette but it feels like that exists in part to contrast with these brief moments where it has like very vibrant use of color um yeah. in, in these very imaginative sequences most of them around harley but also sometimes around like you know it has like the kind of chapter title thing it does also where it constructs some images around that with like this kind right. of Unrealistic or almost surrealistic Imagery that is very vibrant and colorful Um, So I think it's Part of the whole like visual aesthetic Of the film is to contrast the kind of Grittier stuff that it is doing With these more imaginative kind of poppy
1: Vibrant images Yeah I saw this dumb as shit Twitter thread the other day that pissed me off Where someone was talking about this And what they were doing is they had made all these like gra like these images like like collage graphs I don't know what to call them where it would they would take like one uh, Frame from like every shot of the movie and like put it all together So you just saw like a color spectrum of the movie which sounds cool in theory But then they would say like see people think Guardians of the Galaxy is colorful, but look at this It doesn't look as colorful as like this Technicolor movie from 1950 and which is like way more like broad color uses and I'm like Well, that's a terrible... I cannot imagine a worse way to gauge a movie's color use. Like, that is this, like, broad overhead thing. You're not looking at individual sequences. You're not thinking about how, like, one, you can't compare a movie today to Technicolor in the 50s. You couldn't do muted color on Technicolor. It wasn't possible. Like, that's how that whole system exists and was used. Like, there's a lot of Technicolor movies that are gorgeous. There's also a lot that are garish and terrible looking. Like, we just remember the good-looking ones because those are the ones that survive to today in popular imagination right um like it's awful awful terrible way to like visualize and gauge color in a movie
0: because it also loses anything because i've i don't know if i've seen that specific one but i've seen people do that with other movies also and it always is just like strikes me as like you're losing everything about what is like the contrast in the individual images also like you're not like what it's not just about that like here's like the number of colors or the brightness of or saturation of the color but it's like how is the color being used in an overall composition um and how is it being used in juxtaposition with other images around it like that's that's what that is it's not just about it being bright and colorful it's about how is color used in an interesting way to create a visual aesthetic that helps you tell your story and invest like the viewer and the audience in whatever world you're in
1: Um, This was my exact frustration with some of the discussion around Justice League earlier this year where people would say like, you know, the Zack Snyder version is better, but I missed the colors from the Whedon version. And I, the Whedon version looks terrible because he took, because he took this movie that was shot for a specific like style and then just oversaturated everything. So it's all like the highest like color band, like super bright, garish, awful looking and it's just at 11 for the entire movie, and there is none of what you're talking about, which is like con- color contrast within images. It makes stuff like the Flash's costume is the same in those two versions of the movie, but it looks terrible in the Whedon version because it's not meant to be that bright red.
0: Yeah, so it doesn't look right. It, yeah, it's like it, the Justice League, Like that's a really good comparison because it is, um, you know, the Joss Whedon one. It looks like if you fucked up the settings on your TV basically right you like turn saturation really high up or it's like some weird vivid image setting or something which fucks with the colors so that it looks like pops really well in like a TV like display case at Best Buy but then as soon as you put it in your home you're like my eyes are
1: bleeding this is awful like please turn all that shit off exactly and and my point is not that you have to like love the way that the Zack Snyder cut looks but you have to acknowledge that like this is purposely what it was supposed to look like and like yeah. there's like a there's an artistic goal to it. Um and that's all I that's all I wanna see is like an actual intention behind it, right? um and bring it all the way back to the suicide squad this is a movie that has an intention behind its color use and composition and it's good at it and that's i like to see that yeah
0: it's a very fun nice movie to look at and to watch like it's just pleasing to the eye and i think how it is shot and how it is edited like which is what i think you'd expect of james gunn like it's very much like the guardians movies are like that as well where it's just like you can you could very much just turn your brain off and not think about any of like Plot structure or themes or character relationships or any of that stuff, and just look at like the images and listen to the music and the like the dialogue and just engage, like, just like sort of absorb the movie that way. And it's super entertaining in that sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we both like this movie. Uh, We would recommend it. We like it in maybe different ways and to different degrees, but it's a good movie. And uh, I don't know. I just had, I thought it was fun to maybe talk about a a new movie for a change.
0: Yes, yeah, it's been it's it's been a while, um, but yeah, this is a this is a fun one to come back to. Um, it's yeah. it's it's nice to see, you know, like one thing we didn't talk about, I don't think want to get into it, but like all the weird shit about how this movie came about in the first place with him being on Guardians and then getting kicked off and then making this movie and then in the in that span he has then been rehired by Disney to work in Guardians three, but it's just like. It is very like nice when you think back to that moment where he got kicked off of Guardians, and there was this like, oh shit, is James Gunn gonna get like blacklisted in Hollywood or something for this dumb like manufactured comment? Uh, uh, basically, you know, this controversy by weird conservative elements on the internet and saying that's like, no, that's not what happened. You got to make this movie. It's a really good James Gunn movie. I'm guessing that Guardians Three is gonna be a really good time too, and it's like nice to see that. This worked out in a really great way
1: Yeah you know he has said Stupid shit in the past he's apologized For it I do think it's okay to let people Grow (laughs) it's just an important thing He said stupid shit now he said a Stupid thing about Martin Scorsese on the press tour for This movie and I think it's stupid but I don't need to cancel Someone for that um And overall, I I do like him as a filmmaker. I think this is a good one. And WB definitely came out uh, the better in that overall arrangement for snatching him up like as soon as he was on the market to make them a Suicide Squad movie. That was probably a good call on their part. Um, Mm -hmm. Because again, it's hard to gauge how this movie is doing. I imagine if it is getting eyeballs to HBO Max, that's all Warner Brothers really wants right now. Um, That's more valuable to them than money, I think, uh, at the current moment, because HBO Max is where all their hopes are. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing. DC's in a in a very weird and interesting place. I mean, one of the funny moments for me is there's that line in the movie about Bloodsport is in prison because he put Superman in the ICU with a Kryptonite bullet, which, to my understanding, is an actual like Bloodsport story in the yeah, in Superman so. comics. Um, but it made me think for a second. I'm like, is this still in the same continuity? Because the other Suicide Squad, which this is technically a sequel to. Um, is very much in that continuity Ben Affleck is in that movie in two scenes um that Joker shows up in the Zack Snyder Justice League in the the one that came out this spring so like the whole continuity of DC is very weird at this point because we're about to get a Batman who is not at any in any way involved in this continuity it's completely unclear is like is the Superman they're talking about is that Henry Cavill is that still like it's very weird to try to fit these movies together (laughs) and I don't know if it's worth it
0: any point in time where where Henry Cavill's Superman was just doing Superman shit like I guess right. I guess Between Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Theoretically he was but I don't feel like You ever get that sense by watching that movie
1: After Justice League maybe This this could take place a few years after Justice League but, but I don't it's know Justice League exactly um, It's a weird thing I don't really care but it's just Funny to note I mean do a quick Superhero check in here Sean have you seen any Of the Marvel stuff from this year yet no, I think I'm about to re-up my Disney Plus subscription
0: Because the Clone Wars Bad Batch show just finished okay. And that's the thing that like I really want to watch um, And then it's like, well, I'll watch that other shit While I have that subscription up So probably yeah. in the next few weeks I'll start watching a bunch of that stuff
1: Okay, so maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point uh i will say be excited for loki loki is like yeah, in that's the, the one i
0: really want to watch like i'll watch the yeah. other ones because you know i might as well um and they're not like crazy
1: long um but
0: but loki is the one i'm very excited to to get around to
1: loki for me is totally in the black panther thor ragnarok like s tier this is the best marvel stuff so awesome and then and then falcon and the winter soldier is the worst thing they've ever done and then black widow and wandavision are in the yeah, in the, the Blur in the middle where some of it's Good and some of it I don't care about and I will probably Never think about it again
0: yeah it's Disposable comic book entertainment which you know It's fine it's fine it's to have fine. some of those
1: Alright next week on the show We are going to be doing another weekly suit Gundam But yes. it'll also just be a normal weekly Stuff because we'll be talking not about Gundam But uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion The rebuild of Evangelion Tetralogy uh, that is uh, Coming to Amazon this week um the fourth movie specifically but i think the other three are going to be uploaded at the same time so we're going to watch all of those we're going to talk about all of those and there'll be lots of fan service yep
0: fan service ahead uh and i i'm glad we can continue and be on our anime bullshit